This is the moment you've all been waiting for. Live with the best father and son team on the internet. It's time for Homie and the Dude. Welcome everyone to Homie and the Dude, episode number 36 with returning guest, the wise and mystical <laughs> and all-powerful Daniel Ingram, one, <laughs> one of the leaders of the pragmatic Dharma movement, a friend and uh, a very, very gracious and dear person. We are, we are honored again to have you uh, in our presence. So thanks for joining us, Daniel. Delightful to be here as always. Great to see your smiling faces again. Nice. It's, it's an absolute pleasure to have you, dude. Hi. How have you been? How's, uh, how's everything been in the last year since we last spoke? Obviously, COVID's taken up since then. What's life, uh, what's life been like on your side of the pond? Yeah, life here is obviously something of a mess in the United States, but we are blessed in that we can stay far away from the crazy on 50 beautiful acres in the foothills of the southern Appalachian Mountains and with a beautiful garden and 20 miles of unspoiled forest behind my house and live on delivered groceries and Amazon. And uh, with a good internet connection, so we're getting some work done and having some fun. But yeah, it's uh, Carol and I are just chilling and um, cooking good food and and trying to make the world a slightly better place through our various endeavors. So it's been good times. How about you all? Nice. Yeah, it's been it's been a mixed bag for sure for us. I mean, we have had moments where we've been able to come together as a family uh, over Christmas was awesome. So Tracy and I came and met. Bodie and Nikki and Nikki's parents. And that was a great, just an awesome, uh, effectively 24 hours. That's what it was. And mm. since then we've been separate again. Mm. So we, I've seen, and Tracy has seen Bodie here and there, like dropping stuff off and, uh, you know, sort of at a distance outside for moments in time, but it's, and you know, in that, in that sense, it's, it sucked pretty bad. Um, otherwise we are having a, a, a great time developing our podcast, coming up with uh, different ways to and different angles to pursue this, you know, sort of this medium, um, have enjoyed awesome guests. So it's been, it's been super fun that way. Um, we're very much looking forward to post COVID and just bringing this all together and um, bringing all the learning that we've had into uh, just a little bit more of a, hopefully a, a, a more impactful presentation when we're together, it seems to work a lot better. So what about you both? Um, yeah, it's been, I mean, for me, it's been a, I mean, it's been a very hard year because I'm in my early 20s um, and I've just come back from traveling and I returned to the UK to spend a very small amount of time here getting my driver's license and then leaving to go live in New Zealand was the plan. And boy, do I wish I was there now. Um, yeah. And um, the the weird thing is um, lockdown went, what happened in the UK in, in like February and since then. Um, it's been a case of cool. Now we're here and we're trapped. We can't really travel out, and uh, and also with travel comes the risk of um, exposure and all of that, uh, as well as also carrying it and passing it to people if we already have it, which is something that we definitely don't want to be doing. So we ended up staying, and we've been in the UK since. Um, obviously, me and Tom started the podcast and started working hard with that and developing new ideas. Um, we've spent a lot of time doing a lot of creative stuff behind the scenes that we're hopefully bringing to like the, the, the channel soon in terms of like tabletop gaming and a, a few other bits and pieces. And, uh, it's, it's been really creative, really inspiring. I think for me, it feels 
there's days where I don't feel as great about what we're doing and about <laughs> and about the process because you know it's a, it's a grind. But there's other days that really do feel incredible and feel like I'm progressing as a person. I've found my my jam, I guess is is how I'd I, I'd describe it. So both a really good year in terms of personal progression and finding out my own powers in terms of dealing with being trapped in a house for days on end and I'm in an apartment in a city so I don't have green I don't have you know there's a building across out my window and this is like no sun comes into the building so it's pretty hard going in terms of like that kind of stuff so uh finding out finding out my own mental uh boundaries I guess is something else that I've been uh enduring and experiencing um so other than that I've been all right uh, I've been pretty damn good. I can't complain. People are in far worse states than I am right now, and uh, and I'm thankful for what what I have been able to do and accrue over this year that I've been trapped inside. Would be my point. Hmm. Right. So here's here's the deal. This is what we did. This is a little bit different than the last time we met. Um, we put a post out to Reddit and to the Dharma Overground asking people well actually setting the stage saying we're gonna we're gonna have daniel on again and what are some questions that you might have uh you know that thing that you've been thinking about whether it's in your practice or just you know further afield with um with the community within the buddhist community within the pragmatic dharma community whatever it is you know that's at the at the back of your mind it's tickling that every now and again and if you have one can you offer up a question and we'll do our best to to ask Daniel on the show. So on the back of that, we had I think 165 posts on Reddit. So they weren't all questions, but certainly that's what the interaction was. So that's pretty rich, and something like you know over you know 25 30 on Dharma Overground as well. So we, we won't be able to cover all of that ground, and so we sifted through things and we want to balance this out a little bit and make it more of a um, certainly some meaty stuff for those uh, individuals that are deep into their practice and really asking some technical stuff, but also just taking a step back and, and having you share some, some of your experience and some of your recommendations for those, those people that are just kind of getting into this world, just sort of understanding what, what meditation feels for them, what, um, what, how it fits into their life, that sort of thing. So that's our objective. And, uh, cool. and, and with that, um, the first question, and we'll, we'll start off with a layman's one. I'll, I'll call it a layman's one. Um, it, it's a nice question that I think could help loads of people. Um, and what I'll say, Daniel, is pretend I'm someone that has never meditated before and I'm, I'm completely fresh to the idea. Um, what would you say is the Daniel Ingram starter pack for meditating and spirituality and all that kind of stuff is there like a specific subset of videos that i should get into <laughs> books do i need like a yoga mat like what's what do i need some special like clothes like what's what's the gear that i need in it and what what <laughs> do i need a quiet room like what's what's the situation give me give me some thoughts yeah that's a great question it's one i get a lot actually and i'm moderately terrible at answering just to be honest straight out of the gate because unfortunately I, I then can't help but think about like who is this person what do they want to do what do they like what religious tradition are they coming from what are their aesthetics like do they want a bunch of fancy gear and stuff or are they coming from you know like 
a Catholic background or a Hindu background or an atheistic background? Are they like really technical people? Are they like really intuitive? Have they had experiences already and they're getting into meditation to make sense of those? Or have they not had any sort of mystically spiritual experiences at all? And they're wanting to calm down or be more present or be better at work or deal with some stress or whatever it is. And so uh, unfortunately, I have, a, I, I have to know more about the person, but I can tell you a, a few things that I just end up recommending again and again. So there's a book called A Path with Heart by Jack Cornfield, which I think is just a great sort of overview. Yes, it's coming from some, you know, specific background. Yeah, it has its language it prefers, but it really does a very nice even-ish treatment of a lot of things as these kinds of books go. And yeah. if you liked that one, you could then pick up After the Ecstasy, The Laundry for the slightly deeper dive into the reality of being a human on the spiritual path. And then um, if someone likes just sort of basic meditation ideas, um, Mindfulness in Plain English by Bhante Gunaratana is one that I recommend to uh, a lot of people. And you don't actually necessarily even need a quiet room because there are meditation styles that really just embrace whatever sensations come in. And so if you happen to be in a noisy place, you can practice. And then the sensations you'll be noticing might involve noise. If you're in a quiet place, that's obviously totally cool. And, um, but like people don't need a whole lot of gear. You know, the, the people doing this stuff were monks and nuns back in the day that had almost nothing. And, you know, a bowl and a robe and, and the dusty yeah. ground under a tree, and they seem to do yeah. fine. You know, but sometimes, you know, kit is cool and so you know but that that's a whole nother huge topic so that would be my short answer uh, but it, yeah. it really depends a lot on the person and there's so much so many cool traditions and info out there um so it is hard to know where to begin because i like asking people a lot about what what they're wanting to do and where they're coming from of course and you know um i i, I guess I, I phrased that maybe a bit a bit bad i was i was meaning yeah within the resources and yeah thanks for naming like some of those books i said like exactly uh, the kind of thing that, that yeah that, that I was looking for so yeah no I think that's perfect I think you know for anyone out there who is looking to it picking up a couple of those books like you said um just getting into the practice of it because I guess with any with like anything it's repetition it's practice it's learning when you're struggling when you're doing well and finding the balance in bringing it into your life a little bit so yeah that, thanks for that. that that's that answers that question for, for, for on my end perfectly and I think I hope it answers it for a lot of other people Tom did you have something you want to say? Well, I'm, I'm going to circle back to that. Um, if you, so if we got into a little bit more of a specific situation, if you were to say both, because I know you, you've dabbled here and there, um, mm -hmm. and you have, you know, your, your sort of tools that you use in your own practice. But if you were to say, okay, for me to push forward in my practice, maybe kind of what, what, would, what would that look like? What would that question look like, reframed? And so it would be for someone who has meditated in sporadic doses with both um buddhist and zen buddhist background i guess in terms of knowledge and like maybe place of like trial trialing things um with then uh, i would say in hopes what i'm hoping to gain is maybe some mental peace some some serenity it feels like when i go to bed it's uh, it's a little bit jumbled up in there and i need to uh, i need to clear out some of the trash you know so yeah there you go that would be an example of maybe more specific that can help you answer it daniel to thomas point 
Yeah, so um, in terms of mental trash, one of the things that seems like a totally surprising answer for some, but probably not at all for others, is just serious cardio. Like, do more ser serious cardio earlier in the day if you if yeah. your you know your physiology allows it. Uh, whoever might be listening to this, um, you know, something that really gets your heart rate up for some reasonable period of time in some safe and healthy way, I, I think actually helps to just. Uh, clear out a whole lot of things. It, it doesn't sound like a fancy solution, but I actually think it's a really important um, solution. The next thing for clearing out stuff, um, there are a bunch of different approaches. So one uh, that people are, who listen to my stuff routinely are going to be surprised by is mantras, actually. So mantras are a fascinating way to take up some of the mental space and learn to hear the inner voice in a way that is then doing something skillful rather than say suppressing it. So as a lot of the TM kids, uh, you know, um, transcendental meditation kids noticed back in the day and still do because it's still an active tradition. Uh, but I think more popular some years ago is that if you learn to fill your mind with thoughts you are intentionally wanting, then uh, or you know sounds or voice or whatever, then a lot of the other stuff sort of gets crowded out. We do this a lot on fire casino retreats. So pick a good mantra or prayer or whatever you like based on the tradition and aesthetics you're coming from. And that is actually one of um, uh, the useful tips and tricks. And then obviously a standard thing is figuring out how to ground the energy down. So we spend a lot of the day up in our heads, um, you know, staring at screens, a lot of what, you know, People using chakra models might, might say very like sixth chakra sort of, you know, we're up here. Um, then just figuring out how to tune into anything basically neck and down. So uh, figuring out how to feel where like one's attention is, if anything's like budgy, buzzy or edgy or moving, and then like pulling it down and figuring out how to move attention farther down in the body, either slowly or more dramatically and pull it down towards the feet is another fun one that people can use for just calming down. And then uh, similar to mantras, uh, loving kindness practices and related compassion and sympathetic joy practices, as well as equanimity practices, I highly recommend, and you can find those detailed in a cool book called Loving Kindness, The Revolutionary Art of Happiness by Sharon Salzberg. And I think those also can also be super useful practices, particularly if you incorporate the bodily feelings that may go with phrases of well-wishing. Uh, I think that can be very, very helpful. Thanks for watching this episode. We really appreciate you supporting Homie and the Dude. Please hit us with the Holy Trinity, like our Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and follow us on Instagram. Just search at Homie and the Dude. It all really helps. Mm, okay. That's... Do you know, it's, it, there's, there's lots of stuff, though, that you said that I think is really, really great. And, you know, um, uh, one thing I wanted to ask, when you said um, move the, like, buzz, did you say attention or tension in of its tension or attention? Well, actually, kind of both. So attention and tension kind of go together and buzz and attention sort of go together. And the energy, uh, the energetics sort of follow those and or are those, depending on what sort of ontologies you want to bring to this. But if, if you start like just feeling sort of the, the head and the buzziness in the head and the sounds in the head, you can sort of then feel like the lower boundary of where that buzziness is. And as you mm -hmm. feel that lower boundary and then start to feel kind of below that lower boundary and go, okay, where is the edge of this tensiony buzzy thing? And it usually is somewhere like here-ish. And then if you start kind of actively and gently sort of patiently trying to pull that down, 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 then 
uh, you can sort of feel that moving front of where both attention and tension and that sort of edgy feeling are. But most people notice that as they start to pull it down like below their solar plexus and down into their pelvic region, you know, the Dallas are all going to be saying Dantian at this point, which is sort of the point I'm trying to get to as well, which is a, a, some energy center kind of down, kind of back behind your navel or belly button. Then um, a lot of people will notice that energetics and mind and all kinds of things get much more well behaved. And so that's also a fascinating learnable skill that is just useful in a lot of situations. Excellent. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. Including for emotionally charged out. ones, actually. It's a good thing to practice for emotionally charged situations. Oh, awesome. No, yeah, I was going to say, because, uh, no, I, I was just a little bit confused when I was thinking about, like, attention moving it down. Cool. No, that explains that awesomely. Okay. Um, I, I think, for me, that's that, that and, and especially for emotionally charged things now, like, I won't say that I'm the most aggressive or angry person on the planet, because I'm really not, um, but um, I definitely have my moments when I'm angry and and i and i do flare up and i like have some of what i call my grandfather's anger in me um mm. and uh and yeah like I, I think you're you're totally right in those situations you know taking a breath working it down figuring out where the stuff is and and kind of working on it is is definitely a a thing that could help me and i'm sure many other people uh either who have worse tempers than me at equal tempers or even um lesser tempers than myself so um Cheer for it, Tom. All right. So um, what, what I, I guess, had the luxury of doing is picking and choosing some questions that were, were also um, interests of mine, let's say. So I'm in this space, and there was about three or four questions in this space. So I have them all listed. And we'll just see how much of this we want to dig into. Um, but the first one is, uh, it was on the subreddit. And it's, I'll actually quote the, the, the question. It says, um, I'd like to hear Daniel talk about the specifics of how the second and third path moments present themselves to him. There's plenty of info on how stream entry presents itself, but finding people nailing down exactly what happened when they transitioned to second and or third path is frustratingly rare. So thoughts on that? Yeah, so just to orient, if, if we've got some uh, listeners in the crowd who are not familiar with the sort of technical language, so yeah, this is map theory coming out of Theravada Buddhism or old school Buddhism, where they have a progressive model of enlightenment or awakening, or whatever you want to call it, which involves four paths. So you would attain first path, the first stage of awakening, and then second path, and then third path, and then fourth path would be something called arhatship, which in theory is the goal of Theravada Buddhism, and then how that relates to Buddhahood is a whole other thing. But um, and then, so this middle territory is what they're talking about when people are somewhat awakened, which for some people is going to seem like a contradiction in terms of sort of partially awakened, some, you know, using sort of more of a materialist meat model, some centers in their brain kind of have flipped over to the other way of perceiving things, and maybe some haven't. Uh, it, it can feel like experience, some aspects of it are very sort of well-behaved and clear and others not so much. And then it is, it is very true that it is quite hard to find information on this middle territory, even in the old texts, which go on and on and on for thousands and thousands of pages about all kinds of stuff. There is very, very little on this. And so the traditional model would say that at second path, you sort of attenuate great greed, hatred, and delusion in some way. And then at third path, those would be eliminated. That's using something called the 10 fetter model. Um, and this is 
you know, or, you know, or third path would eliminate them for coarse things, but not related to genres and subtle things about, you know, conceit and last sort of subtle residual stuff to be a little more technically precise. Okay, so that's some basic theory, but then we have sort of the pragmatic take on this, the phenomenologist take on this. Mm -hmm. And uh, from a phenomenology point of view, so uh, talking about this territory is complicated because um, a lot of people will think they're in it when they actually kind of aren't. They might have had some powerful experiences, may not be in this territory. Some people can be in it, not even recognize that they're in it. So that also gets diagnostically complicated. This is actually literally could be an entire podcast. Okay, all those qualifiers aside, I'm gonna attempt to answer the question. So the, the way this works in theory is you, you, know, you go through what's called the stages of insight, you get first path, uh, and the stages of insight, you know, spiritual highs, spiritual lows, you come to equanimity with all that, reality synchronizes, converges perfectly, perceived, disappears, reappears, and then you kind of cycle back through that a bunch of times, kind of reviewing it. And then at some point, people will start to notice aspects of their mind and experience that are not well illuminated, and it may seem like new, fresh stages of insight that they don't have mastery over are starting to show up in their life. And then if they get farther and farther into that territory, then eventually they may go through a whole new sort of progress of insight at this deeper level of depth, which usually tends to be more intricate, more complicated, can be confused by the fact that they may have still, still have access to previous stage stuff. So it's sort of weird middle territory, very, very hard to map, um, even for teachers and certainly for practitioners who are going through it. But then what can happen is suddenly the mind at this new level of stuff or thought or experience or whatever that is now being worked on perfectly comprehends it, synchronizes, converges, disappears, reappears, something called three doors phenomenology for those who are familiar with my book. And this can happen a bunch of different ways. Either reality can collapse in or get ripped away or sort of a strobe in place and disappear, or then sort of do these weird rotational folding kind of things that are, you know, sort of odd and involve some sort of collapse or um, of duality in some kind of way. Okay, then reality disappears, reappears, and all of a sudden someone comes out and they've got a level of afterglow after this fruition that they may not have had in a long time. So after the mind does this, which feels very, very good, it feels like a very right thing for the mind to do, there's a sense of chemical reward. So it feels like you've got some really cool, happy relief chemicals in your body, in your mind, there may be an increased sense of clarity. And then most people will notice that suddenly all of this territory they were having to work hard to integrate. They can suddenly just sit down, cruise through quickly in one sit, get back up to you know equanimity, which is the nice stuff, and then resynchronize, disappear, reappear. And then they'll find that all of a sudden it feels like they're back in review phase where they're cycling much more rapidly. And people then describing what the changes are at second path, the traditionalists are going to be a little pissed off by what I'm going to say here because it's not going to conform to exactly all the doctrinal stuff. Sorry, kids. Um, but for those a little more pragmatic and phenomenological, uh, a lot of people will notice something of increased emotional resistance, sorry, resilience. They'll, they'll notice that emotions move through more rapidly. They'll notice that things that were bothering them just don't stick like they did, that desires, angers, fears, griefs just have a an increased capacity to they may show up and then they're just seen and then they just disappear and are not reinforced in some kind of way to the degree that they were before that there is some attenuation of problematic emotions that relates to how well they're perceived how quickly they move through and the degree to which they just don't seem to be sticky they just seem to be like stuff happening and yeah there may, might occur and there might be some human physiology but it's a lot less sticky so it's more kind of teflon mind as some people have described this um and then 
so that's sort of second path. And a lot of people also, uh, more technical practitioners may notice an increased ability for microphenomenology and really noticing sub-stages within stages and sub-sub-stages and the, the intricate details and nuances of the path. And so this is when some people who are like into the really advanced modeling stuff will start going, oh my God, that fractal stuff you talk about in your book that I always thought was total bullshit. Actually, not seeing that and I get why you wrote that down. Um, and so like, this is something that some people will notice these little sub parts of the path, this wiggle and this frequency and this alignment and this thing kind of looks like this, but really is the next phase of that. And that's anyway. So, um, and that's something that's really exciting for people in this stage and really annoying and technical and seems totally, uh, you know, like a bunch of useless talk to anybody who isn't. So apologies if this is an audience for whom this doesn't apply. And then third path, basically the same thing again. So at some point, a new level of mind, new set of stages, new whatever, you go through a whole new progress of insight that you've had to learn. You don't have mastery of it. It takes work. It takes time. It takes learning some of the same lessons again, but much more broadly, much more inclusively. Um, so third path for me and the modeling ways I generally think of this. So there is some variability in how people report this and the aspects they appreciate, right? This is a complex topic. Again, so I'm going to be like very coarsely summary. You know, you go through the whole thing again, same three doors thing, you know, disappear, reappear. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, something again, really different. Again, much increased afterglow after the fruition. Now you're the sense of, oh, wow, my brain really is operating differently. And for some people, and I'm going to uh, generalize, they'll start to notice that this is much more about being here in real time. So where if a lot of people in the lower paths, they may have fruitions that, you know, disappear and they get their chemical hit and they come out and they're like, well, that was really good. You know, um, that was what I was looking for. That has something to do with ultimate reality. For people of third path, this space, this luminous transient immediacy all the way through much more seems to be the punchline in a way that becomes progressively much more integrated into experience. And so for, for those people, like they'll be walking around in the sense that this is it. This has always been it. How could this not be it? This luminous, transient, empty, but present, naturally unfolding moment is now something that they, get, they go, oh, how could I have had the sense of, you know, realization is in the future? How could I have had the sense of a true past? How does it even seem there's an attainer here in this moment that really is a continuous thing when all, you know, experience becomes so much more predominant as the answer, which is really important. But there, at this level, there's still subtle or sometimes not so subtle layers of mind that are not still well illuminated by this. But you know, when people say like 95% of the time, like I'm getting it and everything's just happening and knowing itself, wearing it, you know, knowing itself where it is, doing what it does. This is the kind of thing that some third pathy people will talk about. But the problem is it's confusing because even some people like in high equanimity before stream entry will say stuff like that. And some people in the arising and passing away with a stage, even you know, before that, will say stuff like that. Like everything's it. I see the unitive emptiness of the cosmos or whatever. And so the problem is there are a bunch of mimics and sorting this out is challenging to put it gently and really requires long time long-term performance testing and a highly skeptical eye. Sorry if that was too long an answer, but it, it, it's a real question and, and it deserved it because there is a real void of information on this stuff. And then one more thing, out from there, there can be a lot of cycles and cycles and cycles and cycles and cycles within cycles, big cycles, little cycles. And so in this kind of middle-y territory, a lot of people will just talk about yet another cycle, yet another layer, yet another level, and then some weeks or months later, you know, sorry, weeks or months later, 
they're saying, oh yeah, and yet another layer and another layer, and it seems to go on and on and on. So that's very common for people to be dealing with. And that can be frustrating for people who think there are just gonna be four layers to this thing and then done and good. Yeah, good luck with that. There are a few people it works out for, most people know. Yeah, you know what so is go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. What's, your, what's, your, sorry, what's, your, what's your reaction to that, Bodhi? <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, Actually, I have a lot of interesting questions. So my, 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 my first thought is, it sounds like what you're saying is that this is a, a super complicated thing that not only to get clear evidence on a clear path for the second and third paths requires like field testing almost where you guys both, uh, it sounds like both within science and within spirituality, there needs to be some sort of um, testing in like almost period where you're, you're, you're kind of working out the results of what is going on now. Obviously, we talk about a period of time, but I, I, like you've said, and the big thing that I'm getting from what you said is that this is a varied experience for every single person. Now, there's key things that each person experiences in their like journey, but at the end of the day, your journey is completely different. to uh, Tom's is different to yours, Daniel, and if I were to go on, it'd be different to both of yours. And what it sounds like you're kind of saying is that it's something where you're just going to have to go through it. And this time period that would need to be tested might be 10 years for one specific person, where it might be much less for another person, dependent on who you are. The, the one thing I really wanted to ask at the end of that, just so I can understand um, as, as a person. So um, what path are you guys on individually? Like Tom, where are you and Daniel? Where are you guys? <laughs> like, are you on paths? Are you off the path? Like what, like, have you invented a new path? Like, what's like, where, where are you guys at in, in this process? I'm just interested because for me, obviously, as someone who can't visually picture what you're saying when you're saying like equanimity and like all this stuff, understanding like a placement of a number, oh, you are path number one, gives me at least a, a, a general idea of where you guys kind of are in the process. So either one of you, please enlighten me. Tom, you want this first or me? Uh, sure, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to take it first. Uh, I think, I mean, as far as like out there in the public, people know where you stand on this. Um, it would certainly um, yeah. be interesting for you to share it as well. But, and we've talked about this. I don't know if you remember when we were in Bristol, um, Daniel, we were, you know, walking around the Harbor Loop. And we, oh, I remember the conversation well, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And so beautiful day. Yeah. And we, we talked about, you know, your point, Boats, which is, this needs consideration, it needs field testing, it needs a perspective away from that moment, you know, when, when Daniel said there's that, you know, sort of that synchronous moment that also has a bit of a, what they call an afterglow, that's that almost that chemical hit, um, you need to kind of have some space from that and to look at it from afar and assess yeah. it with a fair and clear mind, because it's really hard to assess it when you're in it, right? It feels like yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's not a real fair assessment. So my assessment now after having um, had that distance over the course of probably, um, I guess it's been a, a year and a, just over a year and a half is, I'm pretty confident that I am, um, I'm pretty confident that I am a stream enterer. I'm not so confident, and this is why I brought this question up of where I am thereafter, because there, I don't think I'm third path. Um, but I'm not sure whether I'm second path or not. So that's kind of my feel right now. Um, and I think to your point, Daniel, what I am working on is these just repeated cycles. And I have cycles every single sit that I do every single day. It's that that cycle just is very consistent, right? You just know mm. kind of 
almost by the minute, you know, kind of where you're going to get and how you're going to get there. And it, I mean, it's different sometimes and, and aspects of the cycle can be more intense on certain cycles and less intense on others. Um, but it's very predictable. Um, but what I find is that I will have moments where I'm like, ah, this is a new level of understanding of what integration really means, right? And I'll say that and I'll be like, this is clearly, clearly the most integrated I've been. And then literally like a week later, I'll top it. Not by a lot, but just a little bit of, of just a little bit more understanding. And the thing is, you don't think you can top it. You think you've maxed it out at that moment. But there's, there's always seems to be a little bit more. These layers are very thin salami slices of understanding of the full integrate of what full integration really is. And I'm just sort of conjecturing what it is. Um, but those salami slices are coming off pretty consistently now. So to answer your question, both, I think I am confidently uh, a stream enterer, I'm not confident whether I am uh, just between stream entry and second path or between second path and third path. Cool. And that um, sense that it is hard to know and that sense of layers and integration and that sense of, oh my golly, really? There's more, oh, wow, okay. And, oh, wow. And that, oh, wait, that, okay, that, um, ah. And that sort of continued amazement at the possible depths of the thing is, you know, very commonly reported. And the attitude towards it, I think, which is just appreciating that and appreciating the unfolding of the process is one of the best ones. I think the map theory is really there to help point to some possibilities and to some things to look for that people may not see and to help people when they get thrown off their game. But if they're paying good attention and not really missing stuff and you know, uh, and not being thrown off their game by some experience, either totally overcalling it or totally being thrown or wrecked by it or whatever, then a lot of the map theory is actually not that helpful and just sort of becomes one more comparative thing where we get the mind habit of thinking there is a true future in which these other attainments occur or a true past in which this actual thing happened when really there's just this unfolding immediate moment and realization that it's best is nothing other than the natural unfolding immediate moment clearly comprehending its own intrinsic luminosity and ungraspability so anyway um so, <laughs> but yeah, and then obviously I, you know, claim fourth path and have for a while now, um, almost 18 years, and I'm satisfied with that diagnosis because everything seems to just be happening. And the cool thing is this is a learnable skill. And the other cool thing is, is the fractal of layers of it unfolding and integrating and going deeper appears to not be infinite. There is mm -hmm. an end to them after which all of the aspects of your experience are incorporated into some sort of wise perspective. And that hopefully is at least reassuring to people that if they keep paying good attention to what's actually going on, that the path can progress to something that delivers something that's really nice and clear and helpful. So, yeah. yeah Do you know great what? Qu great question, Bodhi. And I think probably important to, um, to share out as well. Yeah, I think <laughs> something you just said then that was a little bit mind-boggling. I guess I'll say. Yeah, is when, when you're you, basically what you said, which I think is really awesome, and it's it's because it's something that applies to anything where you have to put time in to learn and become a master at something, which in life is pretty much everything. So, um, what, what you said is really nice. Is that for some people who aren't focused on it, that map becomes almost like a, 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 a not a negative thing, but it becomes this thing of like you're 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 almost reaching for something 
that what you need to be doing is being in the moment and just living through it and we're and focusing on and it's the same thing you look at like an mma fire it's like cool get in the gym do the training do the you know if it's a writer it's cool get on the page do the writing you know make sure that i'm getting my x amount of words out a day and what so on and so forth and just focusing on what i'm doing there not what's ahead or behind and then what you said which was even more interesting i think that in some ways both contradicted and applied to what you said was you then go but you know it's good to have the map to be aware of where you are and also for you daniel to go i've kind of gotten to where the the end of the map so i can tell you there is an end and for any of you who are listening there is an end so feel comfort in that but don't worry about the map in the moment like do you know what i mean so it's <laughs> right it's a, it, it, it's a really interesting headspace of of you have to be very present both when you're thinking about your experiences with it as well as also when you're doing it and Tom, something I want to reference that you said that is the only thing that I can relate to is um, you mentioned the afterglow. And again, I, I haven't reached high enough meditation uh, accolades to be able to uh, admit or even lie that I've experienced an afterglow. Um, however, um, I have experienced the afterglow when taking psychedelics and definitely the days after psychedelics. For me, usually I get three days a really strong afterglow afterwards. And then I get a really hard fourth day of almost like depression um, mm. that like hits me basically. And it's super interesting that it works in that way. But I know exactly what you mean that actually during those days and typically, uh, you know, I, I, I do it with people that I enjoy spending time with. And, you know, so you, in those moments you come away in those three days and I'm like, oh, I love that person so much. Like, oh, like amazing, you know, and like, I worked this out and like, I managed to do this and like, and like, I look back at it and like, oh yeah, incredible. And then a week later you look back and you go, okay, so I did work some stuff out, but I'm still a fuck up and I'm still a mess. So I haven't acted on most of it because I'm, <laughs> I'm still struggling with life stuff and I have other shit going on now and my job. And so I, I know exactly what you mean when you're talking about that afterglow moment of being like, wow. And then after that not being not diminishing the wow in any way shape or form because in the moment that is your truth and that is the honesty of that moment so it is a wow but you look back and you go what did i learn what was the progression what what can i admit that i definitely gained or didn't gain from that and and i think i i, I totally understand that that's one thing i can fully relate to and i i fully get that 100 percent um do you know what, kind of going off of daniel you mentioning that you know you kind of uh, ended uh, or, or feel like you, you're towards the end of this path. I want to ask you a, a, an interesting question that I saw um, in this group, basically. And um, it's basically you, uh, you, you say, I, I don't know what the term is, Tom. Can you, can you, oh, you fill mean me with an the term? arahat or an arahant? Yes. That, yeah. that, thank you. I, I, I don't want to mispronounce it at all. Um, yeah. But uh, what if in, in, in your life, say you're going through your meditation practice and say one day, you unlock something new. We're talking about, you know, this, you're peeling away these layers. Say, for example, you find a new layer that you're like, holy shit. Like, I thought I was here, but actually there's like even more extending past that. How is someone in this community who has said, you know, I believe I am here. If you did find the next stage, how would you come back to the community with that information after presenting yourself as, as such a figure within the community? Actually, it's, a, it's an issue we deal with a lot. And actually, we have a whole post on this on the Dharma Overground that's pinned to the best of 
but it, that deals with this because it's actually a, a pretty common phenomena. And a lot of my friends and colleagues uh, have had all kinds of issues around this and myself. So I had a number of years where it would seem for some number of months that the thing was really truly finally done. And then I would cross into some new meditation stage and it wasn't. And that, that went on for a number of years in the late 90s to early 2000s. And so I'm extraordinarily embarrassingly familiar with the phenomena, which is why I feel like I can talk about it with some degree of ex expertise as, and lots of my friends have noticed this as well. So it's a super common problem. I think if you're, if you're coming up in a map-based tradition with powerful techniques that can be very transformative, we have to be forgiving of ourselves. We have to be forgiving of each other. We have to be able to have some humility and a sense of humor about these things and take it seriously, but also hold it loosely and just recognize recognize that this is can be some profoundly compelling stuff, right? And some of these techniques can produce experiences that can last for months or even years that you're just like, oh my golly, wow, if this isn't it, like what could it possibly be? So the potential for satisfaction is, is definitely there. And it's also worth knowing that I've had a number of interesting sort of shifts in perception and things that I've got a uh, something, my experiments and actualism, you can read all about that, that I've posted on my website, which is some work I did, uh, you know, about nine, 10 years ago, something like that. I can't quite remember at this point. And um, that kind of work uh, did some interesting sort of perceptual mods, some funny things related to time and, and visuals and some other things. And uh, so there's a lot to explore. So I think it's also important for the maps to not be limiting and for the maps mm -hmm. not to artificially box people in to uh, not branching out and playing around and just seeing what other uh, cool stuff the mind can do and what the other options are on other developmental axes as well. So uh, for example, like um, on fire casino retreats, I've come off it with my visual, visual system seemingly permanently kind of upgraded in some way, just because I had spent so many hundreds of hours just paying so much attention to visuals. And so there are these neat things we can do. And so when I say I'm sort of done, you know, which pisses a lot of people off, but okay, sorry. Um, what I mean is on one very specific axis of development, and there are so many other axes of development. And so it's really important for us not to artificially limit ourselves or think that being done in one kind of sense would necessarily mean done in any other sense. And it's a vast and wild world of meditation out there. So I think that attitude is the most important thing to bring to it, recognizing that there are these cool technical um, things that we can learn to do and perceptual changes we can make that are also well-defined. And so even as wild and interesting as the territory is, there are landmarks that make a lot of straightforward sense when you get to them and you go, oh, okay, just this. Got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I think, I think also just to clarify this, because I think there is a, a, a perceptual problem out there when you say I have completed the insight path and to some that I'm an arhat and I have uh, to, you know, people start using words like enlightened and, and, and all of mm -hmm. that. There's a, there's a specific thing you're saying and there's a specific thing you're not saying, right? And it's important to, to differentiate those things. So my understanding is that there are uh, three strands to three paths, let's say three strands to the path. Um, one of them has to do with insight. One of them has to do with concentration. And one of them has to do with morality. Now you, you can correct me as we go. What you're talking about is you have completed the insight path, right? You've attained the four paths of the insight path. I think what you've also said in the past is the concentration path is 
there is no end to it. You can go, you can kind of swim out into those deep waters and explore different things and be lost there for years and decades and find stuff. Or have a lot of fun there. I mean, lost is a funny term for that kind of wandering, but yeah, people can get sort of lost in that or find incredible stuff out there. It's vast, um, unfathomably large territory. Yeah. And then the last, you know, the, the, the wisdom or the morality path is the other bit that we're, all of us are continually working on. Am I, am I a generous person? Am I a kind person? Am I listening? Am I aware? Um, Have, is pride leaking into my life? Is ego leaking into my life? These types of considerations never end. And so when we talk about, you know, some, some gurus, as it were, that you, you hear these sort of really sordid stories about them and their students and them in corruption and them and, you know, all this other stuff. They may be way down the insight path or maybe way down the concentration path, but they have not sorted out the morality or the wisdom path. So I just want to clarify this because there seems to be a lot of confusion out there that you're, people are saying, well, if he considers himself to be an arhat, well, then he, he's, he's saying that he's completely like at Buddhahood and that's impossible. Yeah, no. and that's not what you're saying. Definitely not. Yeah, so I don't claim, you know, total psychological perfection or anything even close to it. Uh, you know, I don't, there's a whole bunch of things I don't claim total knowledge of how to live perfectly in the world in all situations, you know, total universal knowledge of the, you know, whatever. Like, there are all these things that we imagine just um, waking up to something extremely straightforward in sense perception will do. And it does some cool stuff, but it, it doesn't do all of those things in the way that most people dream it would, which is unfortunate, but... Um, also means it's attainable because if you also were expecting it to do all of those things you'd be waiting a long time yeah and do you know what uh, you you said as well and i think it's something that (laughs) weirdly i'm i'm on i'm on a negative side of this which is really interesting I, i was reviewing my own stance on this in my head because i'm on a negative side of this but your whole uh opinion on you know it's an ever changing like field as well as individually it's an ever-changing path it's an ever-changing field the map is still changing people are still writing shit those monks thousands of years ago wrote some shit down that was probably wrong and now we've discovered that it's you know or you know so on so forth there's been thousands of changes and and evolutions we'll call it not changes evolutions of of the process and for me interesting i was trying to relate it to my life and if i could try and understand that i was thinking within skateboarding when a new when someone brings n- something new to skateboarding that people um, aren't seeing, for example, um, you know, it's experimental skateboarders like William Spencer, Johnny Geiger, you know, Jason Parks, like people like them who are doing things that the rest of the community who are like, oh, you know, you got to do traditional street and you got to be like in this box very much aren't fond of. Now, I am a fan of all of their work and I love what they do for skating. But also, I know that in some aspects, I also am like, if you're mole grabbing your skateboard, why are you holding it by the trucks? Like, what's that about? I don't, I don't like, that's not a thing we do. Like, why are you doing that? And so it's interesting that I, I feel the evolution because I think some of that evolution is beautiful and it's changing the sport and making it incredible. But I'm also on the other side going, yo, don't hold your board on the trucks, man. Like, if you do that, that's not like, that's not right, Holmes. Like, you need to stop for some reason. And I don't know why. So, but I appreciate what you're saying that the only way that anyone can move forward and that anything can move forward and evolve is through that open-mindedness. And I think something that Tom was talking to me about earlier when we were deciding these questions was the amount of hate that you get and the amount of 
you know, the, yeah. the internet puts on you and the amount of people that come at you with anger. And to me, I, I, I almost go, you're in a community that is literally about mindfulness and peace and mental prosperity and, and awareness and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I, I struggle, I struggle to feel sorry for those people that are, that are treating you in that way. When, like you said, that community sense of, uh, of openness and evolution is what it should be. And what I want to pose is how do you feel now that the internet exists and, and these people have a voice and the negativity is free to be read by everyone, as opposed to, you know, back in the day in the nineties, when even I was growing up and Facebook wasn't even a thing. And I like, you know, I, I, you didn't have this, you know, you couldn't contact someone who you long lost at high school because it just doesn't like you write them a letter and then you lose contact and they disappear into life and that's it. So how do you feel about all of that negativity that's swirling around within the community that you love so much? Yeah. So the internet has amplified both the negativity and the positivity, right? And um, I'm not sure it's amplified one or the other more, but certainly it's, it's ramped both up, you know, by many orders of magnitude. And so it is true that uh, it, it is, predictably disappointing how many flame wars and hate posts and all of that that um, get directed not only at me, but, you know, tons of people who do this. Like, so, I'm, you know, obviously tons of meditation teachers have their own perspective, tradition. They're coming from points of view, ways in which they disagree with somebody's orthodoxy. And so anybody who's public these days, I mean, heck, you know, any subject in the world that has, you know, controversial opinions now, if you post one view, somebody else is going to post the other one, because <laughs> that's just the web. That's just the world, right? So it's nothing unique or special to me. It's just the, the planet we're living on. And, you know, you could, as a funny comedian uh, I was listening to said, you know, someone posted a, you know, a, a video of their gerbil eating popcorn or something, and people were just like trashing it. And it's like, you know, it's ridiculous, like the things that people will get all excited and angry about. But it's also true that we have a lot of people who, on the one hand, have tremendous appreciation for their tradition, their orthodoxies, their teachers, their points of view, etc. And I can appreciate that. And this sort of notion of what's pure and what's original and what's authentic and what's highest and truest and best, I can very much appreciate that people have, you know, an appreciation for those kinds of aspects of the world, yet the shadow side of all of those is instantly hatred for anything that isn't, in their view, the highest and best and purest and oldest and most authentic and all of that stuff. And that's just the nature of people in the zealous phase of development. And I've been through plenty of zealous phases of development, so I can totally both sympathize and empathize with them and know where they're coming from. It, you know, it's part of the dance and the deal and the conversation. And so I, I think it's important to have all of those voices for us all to get our rough edges a little bit worn down by the interaction with the sharp uh, diamonds out there in the world um, that are helping to polish all of us. And yet at other times, it is pretty fucking annoying. <laughs> Like, so that's that's the other uh, point of view on it that is also very human, um, and uh, yeah. so that's that. Uh, dude, <laughs> you, you, you know it's it's interesting that you you say that because I mean I, we we already as as a small podcast get get our fair share of people commenting shit and saying stuff and you know and and 
when I when I started reading through some of this subreddit today that the, the Tom posted, I was like, Jesus Christ! Like this is like we we don't even get half of this. Like we're not getting a yeah. quarter of this shit right now. And so I, I right. appreciate your resilience to the craft and your and your commitment to wanting to help the people that want your help. And I think that's something that I really really take my hat off to you with Daniel. And and nice. it's it's really cool that you're doing that. I I think because you know it's easy for someone to be like cool, you don't like what I got? Fuck you, I'm going for, leave, I'll leave the internet. And then you can, you can struggle by yourself. Goodbye. Like, and, and you can, and do you know what? You're well within your right to do that, to enjoy your acres of wood behind you and your, you know, your, your house and your land and, and, and live a peaceful life where you don't have to worry about some uh, Billy Bob, you know, Jacobson 202 on Reddit saying, ah, oh, fuck you, Daniel Ingram, you know? And so I respect actually, you very much for that. Yeah. And it's also, Worth knowing, um, shit posters out there, like I have 10 friends who have super deep practices and wisdom to share who are not public about it to every one that is. Actually, the ratio is probably substantially higher than that. And so, and it is exactly the kind of disgust with that world that keeps these people with super deep practices and very interesting wisdom and a lot of diversity of perspectives, some of which the, you know, some of the shit posters might appreciate. Um, and some of them obviously wouldn't because they are obviously not a, a, a homogenous bunch. And so it is that toxic culture that does keep a lot of people, you know, very much closeted. And that does the world a profound disservice. So just realize the culture you create um, also creates the dearth of good information that a lot of you decry. So just keep that in mind. That's a that's a that's a sick quote right there. I, I, if anyone wants to take a quote and put that for Daniel Ingram's like next autobiography, I think that's a great one right there. <laughs> um, uh, something else that I also really related to when you're, when you're talking then was, you know, in martial arts, it was the same thing. Everything was traditional, traditional, like my style is better. My style is better. Like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and now it's very much, that's why mixed martial arts took hundreds of years to appear because everyone was like, you know, my Kung Fu style beats your jujitsu style. And you're like, uh, like, what if I did Kung Fu and jujitsu? Then I'd be both of you idiots. Like, so I, I think it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's very interesting in your point as well that, you know, it, there's the whole, and I, I also agree with you. There's the honor in like, oh, my sensei taught me this. And I, I respect yeah. my sensei, like, you know, kind of thing. And I get that dude. And same with, and meditation is another one of those spiritual arts like martial arts where you you respect your leaders in a different way because you see them in a different capacity so i totally get that as well like that that makes perfect sense tom uh, do you have another question for daniel i do have another one um <laughs> so are you are you ready to uh, to take this in an entirely different direction yeah now? wherever we want to go let's go all right surf that so, wave uh, there have been times where we have leaked into and then pulled away from conversations about conspiracy theories. So I'm going to give you a choice of uh, which of which. Now, I know we've talked about Tower 7 a little bit. and You've got some really, really good, um, some pretty yeah. uh, amazing um, perspective on that that puts a lot of questions <laughs> into into people's minds. Um, so it could be that. Or, or it could be anything else. I'm going to hand it over to you on as far as which conspiracy theory do you feel is less conspiracy theory and more, hey, let's take a real, real hard look at this because there is something there. 
Wow. Uh, yeah. So speaking of getting um, shit posters and hate mail, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? as if we didn't have enough of that, but you know, whatever. Um, fuck it. So uh, I actually, given the number of people that are dying now, so I mean, the, the whole 9-11 thing is fascinating and could be a long conversation. It could be a lot of fun. And I have a lot of strong opinions on for better or for worse. But given that in the world, we're having more than a 9-11 worth of people die every single day, I'm going to swing it around to um, coronavirus. Not that it hasn't been beat to death, but it's still actively killing people. So um, it hasn't been beat to death enough from my sort of stomp it out point of view. Um, the, the one thing I'm going to say about that, that a lot of people think is going to be really controversial, I think, and um, is the, I, I've, as an epidemiologist, so I have an MSPH in epidemiology two year from a top public health school and an MD, and uh, my father is an infectious disease pediatric expert, uh, and that's what I grew up with. So I actually grew up, you know, reading you know, the pediatric red book, which is a, you know, cool book of pediatric infectious disease. It's actually a fascinating read because it goes into history and stuff. But basically that the, the sort of first world, and I've already pissed some people off by even using that term, but the rich developed countries are just going to have to get it together and vaccinate the whole world, right? Uh, to get rid of coronavirus. And we're going to have to develop vaccines fast. And um, the anti-vax movement is just going to kill thousands and thousands and thousands of people, period, right? I just, uh, I'm hawkish on this and this is gonna freak some people out and some some of my friends on the cosmic right and the cosmic left and my, yeah, fuck that. Like literally your views are gonna kill staggering numbers of people and disrupt economies for long periods of time. And while they might, you know, save the planet a little bit of carbon emissions, which is valid and important, that's a whole nother topic we need to get into, you know, by how long it's gonna be before we resume normal air flight travel and all of that stuff and driving and tourism. Um, which, again, is a sort of valid benefit in some totally horrible way to coronavirus death and disruption. That said, uh, like until we just take this seriously, like smallpox or polio and vaccinate basically everybody as fast as we can to every new strain that comes out and aggressively quarantine, uh, we're just going to be dealing with this thing. And it seems to be getting more variant, which is the scary thing. I mean, some of these new variants seem even worse than the previous one. And that's not a good sign. And RNA viruses mutate fast. This is going to be a real challenge. But I think we just need to spend globally the 10 or 20 trillion bucks or whatever this is going to cost, employ as many people as we possibly can. That will boost economic stuff and just shut this shit down. So I'm a total hawk when it comes to this, and that's got to be hopefully controversial enough to spark some some good discussion. <laughs> nice, Tom. Do you want to go first? Yeah, no, I'm I'm I am actually right there with you, Daniel. So I don't have a counterpoint. And I, what I will do, <laughs> is I'll, I'll bring it back to just a uh, an example that's a real example, which is uh, my mom. So my mom lives in America. Mm. She lives in Las Vegas, and she's 80 years old. And we've had conversations uh, about the vaccine. And she, you know, through whatever conversation she's had outside of ours, um, hears things about, you know, should I do it? Shouldn't I do it? I don't know the side effects. And my, my, I keep circling back to you, mom. It's a real easy proposition. Do you like your chances on the side effects of the vaccine more or less than your chances out in the wild without the vaccine? That's it. Decide one way or the other. And, you know, for those people that have reservations about the, vac the vaccine, 
okay, well, there might be some stuff there to, to talk about. Who knows? I don't know. But the alternative is infinitely at this point worse, which is not just for you, but every person that you encounter. And that's the thing that I have the biggest fucking yep. problem with is people that say, well, I'm, you know, I'm okay. I'm strong. I'm young. I, you know, I'll, I'll take on Corona. That's fine. That's cool for you, bro. But when you're out there, you're putting other people at risk. So when I wore a mask, literally when we left the last retreat, Tracy and I went to um, a, it's called a, it's kind of like a hardware store. And we bought five boxes of N95 masks and we wore them starting in, you know, like March 5th to the stairs and the, you know, the, the chagrin and the whispers of loads of people. And, um, and my, my perspective was, that's fine that you're judging me, but actually I almost feel like you should be thanking me. Like, dude, I'm not doing this for me. Yes. I'm doing it for you. And that's the bit that- And the um, community and yeah. health systems. Exactly. So I'm with you, dude. I'm 100% with you. No, there, I have no counter to that. Um, Boats, are you, are you, uh, you got anything or you want to go to Tower 7? <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, honestly, my, my honest answer is I fall with both of you in of the, 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 I, I feel the same way. Now, um, I, I stand on with Tom on the frustration at other people for not looking out for your fellow human um, because, um, like, dude, I don't like, I don't wear a mask for me. Like, just so I, like, and, and all my friends know this, like I hang, I have my friends and I have my two best friends. I, I will, I will call them out on stream. My two best friends do not take care in this way, in any way, shape or form. One of them actually um, has had parties and all that kind of stuff. And is, is, is one of those and, and, and is very nonchalant, but they know when I'm with them, I wear a mask, I stand away from them and we're, I'm happy to spend time with you, but we're going to be as far away from each other as I can get. And, uh, and I'm definitely going to be wearing a mask and it's not for me. It's for you guys, just in case, I have it and I don't want to give it to you guys because that's not going to sit well on my conscience. It's got nothing to do with what happens to me. That doesn't sit well on my conscience. Now, the other thing that I would say um, that I agree with, uh, with you, Daniel, about anti-vaccine is, guys, uh, and Daniel, I'm sure you can maybe give me closer numbers. I'm not going to say any numbers because I am in no way an epidemiologist or, or someone who knows about vaccines or medical stuff. But I will tell you uh, a straight fact. If you were born between like the early 90s and the early 2000s, you were vaccinated for stuff. That's what's up. Like you, you were vaccinated for polio, um, for, you know, a bunch, like you, every child got loads of jabs. And guess what? If you are okay right now, then guess what? The COVID jab is fine. And for even, even further than that, if you have ever traveled outside of your country and gone to a different country, specifically, we're talking Asia, um, the Middle East, um, uh, Africa, um, South America, places like that. Um, if you've traveled there, you have been vaccinated for something in those countries. And if you've received one of those vaccines and you are fine and you enjoyed your holiday and you came back and you work and everything's fine, and guess what? COVID vaccine is fine for you. Like that's, that's the all that's, you have to relate it to things that have happened in your life already. If, if you're struggling to believe the science and you're struggling to believe the media or whatever, please think about things that have happened in your own life already that you can base off of evidence within your own life. 
if you are a child that was born between the 90s and the early 2000s, you were vaccinated. Um, not to mention a lot of people earlier than that as well. Um, you were definitely vaccinated. And if you're fine now, then any COVID vaccine you receive, you will be fine from. Like that, that, that's, that's just it. And like Daniel said, you're putting other people at risk. Now, whether or not, you know, I, I stand on the side of every person, like I stand on the side of, I feel like every person should get the, the, the vaccine. Now, whether I feel we should inhibit freedom of choice is a whole nother conversation that I really struggle with because I feel like in my head, I go, yes, military, everyone get a vaccine, like line the fuck up and let's get this fucking done. But also I go, you know, a lot of the white Western world at this point in our progression will not stand for that. And it like rebellions will break out. Like the fact that we have had anti-lockdown protests in the UK with thousands, tens of thousands of people in London while this is going on, is crazy to me. So we're not even lock, we're not even putting harsh restrictions in terms of making sure that you are actually locking down. Because in the UK, it's lockdown, but people don't. And then not to mention, there's no like ordered or, or compulsory vaccination thing. So at this point, I think it would kick up a hell of a fuss if we did try and militarize and 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 uh, get everyone vaccinated across the planet really quickly. But uh, I stand on the side of fuck you, you shouldn't have a choice. Other people's lives matter than your opinion. So fuck you is kind of where I stand on that. But also, you know, you, 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 can, you can play with other people's lives. That's, that's not up to you. Um, so that's where I stand on it. But yeah, go for it, Daniel. I should add a qualifier. I am all for a nuanced, sophisticated, data-driven debate about which vaccines, what, how many doses, for whom, in what order, like you know, prioritizing and and all of that stuff, right? And uh, so it's not like I don't appreciate that there is nuance to this and subtlety. You know, I spend some of my time listening to you know virologists, you know, going into all kinds of excruciating detail about variants and you know the degree to which these may may not apply and does this really help prevent long COVID and are people who are vaccinated just as good transmitters, even if they don't have as many symptoms as other people. I mean, there is a lot of nuance and complexity to this. So I don't want in my hawkishness to give the impression that I don't think there isn't a lot of room for reasoned, data-driven, intelligent, scientifically based debate, because there still is. There still is a pretty large amount. We don't know about the long-term efficacy of these vaccines and their other impact. And again, things like long COVID and all of that, and how these will relate to different strains. And should we have, you know, like quadrivalent vaccines that pr protect against multiple strains? And how will that work? And are people going to need to get boosters? And, and all of those things. There's, there's room for intelligent conversation within my hawkishness. But the basic point is that we need to globally figure out how to shut this shit down that I'm super hawkish about, just to add some qualifiers. And, and I, I second that as well, 100% second that. Like, we need to be testing every uh, strain of the the vaccine we need to be doing thorough testing and I, and by that i mean going to corporations i look at you don't be spending don't be rushing these out because you want money like i would rather you test it for a little bit longer and give us the guaranteed good stuff rather than chucking me a, a half a half half ass vaccine i guess so you know I, I also stand very much on that as well there needs to be debate we need to be talking about what's right for certain people and also 
what vaccines work for certain age groups. You know, I know in the UK, we're looking at, you know, the Pitzer one isn't working for some of the variants, but the, you know, the uh, AstraZeneca one is working for people between, you know, X and X ages, you know, and it's so, yeah, I, I fully agree with you. It's not black and white, but the answer is if your question is whether you should or shouldn't, that is very black and white. The, the, the other stuff around that is not black and white, though. I fully, fully agree with you. This, this actually leads nicely to a, another question that, uh, yeah, I, I think it's probably appropriate. So this person said, um, I want to ask Daniel to comment on whether he thinks magical thinking actually hurts people. So, for example, some people use magical thinking and traditional medicine to cure COVID. Authoritative voices that promote the idea of magic might be contributing to this misinformation. So I know you have a special place in your heart for that. For that. Um, and, and for that debate and discussion. Yeah. So go for it. Well, okay. So as people who know my stuff probably know, and for those of you who don't know me, I practice magic. I have wands and robes and crystals and incense and you know sigils and all kinds of intuitive stuff and go on whole meditation retreats to get my concentration powerful enough to, to deal with entities and travel out of body and, and uh, the whole friggin' thing, right? And it's I incorporate magical stuff into plenty of what I do. And I also incorporate a ton of common sense and science-based stuff, right? I'm a doctor, right? Like, you know, and so if I had COVID, I would definitely be doing magical spells and taking my vitamin D and probably some vitamin C and zinc, though there's debates about whether or not they really work and how much and all of that stuff, you know, and would think about other things that might be of value that, you know, whatever herbal thing my friends have sent me from some fancy tea from Thailand that they think has some, you know, isoflavone, whatever that does some immune modulating, I don't know, cutting edge or alternative, I'm not sure, right? And by the way, I would be monitoring my pulse ox and staying away from people and getting help if I needed it and definitely getting steroids if I got sick and, you know, whatever else the, the mainstream providers, if I started to need hospital related care, um, wanted to do and fluids if I needed them for diarrhea or hydration or whatever it is, or a ventilator, like, you know, if I needed that level of support, I would seriously think about, you know, it's complicated. But so there is a way to have both in a way that is helpful and complementary rather than contradictory. And so as a pragmatist um, that cares about good outcomes, like people not dying because they were idiots and stuff, sorry, I'm being a little bit harsh, right? That hopefully is part of the basis of magic as well. And so just me personally, and obviously everybody's gonna make their own decisions of this, I tend to press my ma magical work on all fronts. So I consider magic, like it's just integrated into everything else is one more thing I'm doing. It's not an either or, it's an and, and how do they work together? Um, and so that's my sort of general take on that. But it is definitely true that a whole lot of people have died and are gonna die by magical thinking that doesn't have some sort of reasonable pragmatism or basis in data or something. And that's unfortunate. It is also probably true that some of magical thinking and alternative practices have helped people almost certainly, yes. And so the problem is we also don't have great data on that. And me as a scientist would love to see the, the outright comparison of whatever alternative or magical based treatment modality you have, I would love to have the money to study that and compare it to whatever traditional care and or them together and or whatever, and just see what the actual numbers say. And then hopefully we can all make informed decisions about our magical and medical practices. Amazing. Absolutely <laughs> incredible. Um, I, 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 do you know what? I, 
I want to ask you more of a question on, on your magical stuff, but I, I'll address the, the whole COVID thing first. I think um, for me as someone who, um, I guess m my mom, Tracy, is, is very like outright. She kind of says it as it is. And for many years of her life was strong atheist, um, didn't really believe in like, um, like herbalism or, you know, um, uh, like holistic, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. And for me as, as a young man, that was kind of drummed into me that a lot of that is hokum. And, um, and it's, it's super interesting that you say that because, you know, the one thing that I found over this COVID time, like when I'm really feeling good during lockdowns and whatnot is when I'm taking my vitamins that I, that I've been begun taking since COVID I've begun taking my vitamins, you know, I've begun taking time to myself, you know, days when, like you said earlier, you know, you exercise early in the morning and get out there, get that serotonin, that dopamine hit from, you know, exercising and whatnot. And I think to me that something that I read, uh, in God, I hate to admit this, read in a Dan Brown book once, um, is, <laughs> um, is a really, really beautiful thing that science and magic and, um, this whole like Rose Curian, um, you know, uh, um, Rosicrucian. Uh, see, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Rosicrucian. Yeah. My apologies. Um, and, uh, and all those guys and like all their like mode of thinking was that magic and science have always been one. And what's happened is that over time they've kind of torn apart and people are claiming that they're different entities, but really they still sit very much within each other. Um, and there a lot of magic proves science and a lot of science proves magic is, is, is what seems to come away from a lot of that. Uh, the question I actually wanted to ask you is, um, do you define as a, right. Okay. So the, there's loads of areas within, within magic and spell casting and what is, are you wizard, mage, sorcerer, warlock, um, like monk, <laughs> um, like what, like what kind of, because obviously each one then defines to different areas within magic and whatnot. So do you define yourself as one of those specifically, or is it just magical being in general? Yeah, so I draw from a lot of magical traditions that might use various terms like that. And mm. um, so I'm, I'm definitely, uh, you know, terminologically flexible when it comes to that. And I actually use different designations depending on context and audience and almost sort of the type of magic I'm thinking about, right? So I, I think of sorcery, uh, the term when I'm doing the sort of weirder, scarier stuff or like, you know, and wizard is kind of the fun one. And then mage has this sort of, you know, combined notion for me as sort of wisdom and power molded into one. And, and you know, so I actually love playing around with the language and I definitely, um, have a basket of terms I choose from, all of which seem to have subtly different implications to my ear. Uh, but uh, yeah, I like having fun with the language as much as anything. That's awesome. No, no, that's, um, that's super cool. One thing I wanted to add, actually, I have this weird hypothesis that is not data-driven, but I would love to test it, that the inflammatory cascade, the sort of immunological storm that COVID has, I actually have this weird notion it might respond quite well to deep jhana. I have this curious hypothesis that the ability to attain to extremely profoundly calm states 
might do something really nicely immunomodulatory to the immune system. And it's something I don't have data on, but it's a hypothesis that has many, many times come up in my brain is if I got COVID, what would I be doing? I would be a whole doing a whole lot of deep shamatha to calm that system down because it is an overstressed, overactive, anxious immune system that seems to actually do a lot of the serious damage that kills people. Um, you know, the secondary infections and blood clots. Okay, yeah, other that's you know, part of it. But even the blood clots and things are related in some ways to an inflammation of the clotting cascade, which um, is from, you know, the, the whole system just being too agitated, as far as I can tell. And I would, uh, it would be fascinating to know what the heavy parasympathetic tone and bagel stuff did in terms of neuroimmunomodulation to uh, make it less likely to, that I would die of COVID. And I've many times thought, if I got that positive test, I'm gonna be like full on in shamatha retreat mode um, until the thing passes. You know, wow. what, what I loved about what you said, uh, which moved it from uh, a, an either or, which is this blend of, of uh, magical um, aspiration or application along with science and uh, i didn't think of it that way i thought i didn't think of they were them being complementary or um, one enhancing the other um, so that that it was illuminating for me for sure so it, during these times anything magical that you are um, thinking about or ritualistically doing for either for your the benefit of yourself or beyond yourself with regard to to covid yeah so um uh, I, a lot of, so the, this doesn't, may not seem like a magical act, but I very much think of it as like just reaching out to supportive people, like the magic of community has been so critically important. That's not a profound thing to say, but I think it actually is a really profound thing to say. <laughs> Did that make any sense? Okay. Yeah, totally. So, um, anyway, <laughs> um, and then the next thing I'm doing is a ton of just general blessings. Like I, I like to spend time out on my breezeway and over my garden, just hands up, heart open, sending love and well-wishing out to the world, the classes of beings and elements and dimensions and all of that, which sounds totally new age hokey, but it's just tremendous fun. And that sense of sort of open-hearted well-wishing, I think counters a lot of the sense of sort of close or isolation or restriction or anger or frustration, whatever it is, like all the stuff that's very like, uh, right? Because mm. COVID has had this like this serious, like uh, constrictive energy. And so very, very actively doing open-hearted practices where it's like, no, as far out and, and pushing through all barriers and resistances and just sending just blessings and well-wishing um, to everything and anything and feeling that out as an active practice, I think has been really helpful. And then I've done some active defense stuff like old school, like banishings of unskillful energies and property boundary defense, which is sort of the other side of it, right? So like not so open-hearted as to let any crazy thing in, right? So there's, you gotta, you know, I, I tend to like both having open-heartedness and boundaries. I think that's just reasonable from a magical point of view. And so also I've done like, you know, active perimeter defense of, you know, uh, you know, protect home and protect family and stuff from bad things related to this. Um, and so that's just a, sort of a, a start to the magical work. Um, how about all of you? What have you been doing? Anything active, interesting, something subconscious or, or formal? Hmm. Great question. Great <laughs> fucking question. Do <laughs> you have any, anything? Uh, I have a little bit. I have oh, a little man. bit. Um, Buy me some time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would say 
Um, I haven't like, again, the absent, the <laughs> mag magic, and I said this in our last podcast, magic is very absent in my life, or I feel like it's very mm. absent in my life. And that me of all sucks. people, yeah, yeah, <laughs> God, I know. Bless. Right? That's, a, that's, whew. yeah, it, it, it's, it's pretty wacky. And, uh, and, and again, as someone who currently at the moment, like just for people like me and Tom are working on tabletop gaming, specifically Dungeons and Dragons. I have been spending my entire days writing a world and creating a place filled with magic and beautiful like uh, abilities and, and stuff like that. Um, so I, man, of all the people in this world, I want magic more than anything. And I, I want to be able to, to feel it and experience it and believe and, and be in that headspace. But something really inhibits me and I don't know what it is. But countering that, I will say, I've had a couple of amazing moments during lockdown, moments where um, I've been in bed and I've been like, not wishing for something, but just being like, just talking to, I don't know whether it's myself or, and it's not God, it's so, it's not, I'm talking Fair. to something. I'm, I'm talking, talking to the energy of the universe, I guess. I'm talking to, in my opinion, the particles that make life and just being like, yo, like, I need some courage right now, or I need some like something or rather, and waking up the next day and being like, wow, I feel better. And so I, I would say there's been one or two moments of that, um, as well as also one or two moments of, uh, you talked about community magic, like with my significant other, Nikki, because we've been living in one apartment together, tight, compact for months, a year now. Um, it's, the there's been beauty in our communication there's been beauty in and magic in the emotions that we've shared during this time we've been trapped together there's been magic in the and both good and bad crying together laughing together loving one another hating each other in the same space and you know <laughs> all, all of it all of it and i think that's been pretty magical for me has been the experience i've had with my significant other has been the most magical thing I've experienced during the last year of COVID. That is so, awesome yeah. to hear. Yeah, she's really cool. Um, uh, yeah, Carol, I actually, Carol and I actually have never been closer in the last 18 years than we've been this, uh, at the end of this last year. It's also been quite a cool and remarkable journey. So yeah, I can really appreciate that. That's awesome, nice. Yeah, what I, about I you, say, Tom? Uh, yeah, so I would, I, I've got something else, but I would just uh, on the back of that say that same thing with Tracy and I, I guess it's, it's a very going to go one way or another in COVID, right? It's either going to accentuate some real problems and make those bigger, or it's going to allow you to, um, to kind of come together, to ally together and to appreciate each other in a different way, in a really, really stripped down, simple way. This is not about going out for dinners. This is not about for, you know, for outside um, entertainment or distraction. This is about just you and day after day after day of waking up, groundhog daying that over and over and over again. Can you do that? <laughs> and, and by the way, can you do that and be happy? Like that is pretty cool if you can, right? And then coming out of this, like I don't even know what coming out of this means, but I am very much looking forward to stepping out into the world again after having this time. This has been a really special time for us. So very much um, have, have, have savored that time. I, so the other thing I would say, though, as well, now, I'm not sure, I, I think this is magical space. And I'm going to take it to our to this podcast, we have really, really tried uh, 
I guess it's part of it's been luck with our guests, but certainly part of it has been our um, our method of really keeping in a positive, open, positive, complimentary, um, inspiring space, right? And whether it's about something that someone does, something that um, someone is talking about, we continually try to keep that space in the forefront of what we're doing. And so that's been really, really fun for us. Um, and I think it's been something that we, we haven't even talked about, but it's not been a strategy. It's not been something that we have um, looked at and said to ourselves, oh, we're going we're gonna to have this theme. It's just been sort of this organic approach to, to everything. So that has been really, um, feels like a, that, that little magical space has been uh, in, in that positivity. I, it, it just makes, it, may, it makes me feel good. And I know that our guests come away, even if it's for a short period of time, saying, that was cool. I really enjoyed that. Like that little period of time, whether whatever we talked about, that energy was kind of cool. And um, that's, that's been hugely rewarding for us, certainly um, in, that, in that capacity. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Okay, super, so super, super interesting, Tom. Now, can, can I ask, just, you, just ask you a question? Now, and then kind of with Daniel as well. Now, where does the where does the magic and reward kind of uh, kind of or, or, or like uh, like do we consider something's magical because it's not likely to happen and it happens and we're like shit that was unbelievable or is it that we achieve something and what we think is magic is actually just hard work and hustle and grind and time and like even with you Daniel you know casting a spell. Is what happens afterward magic, or is it that you spent a day, you know, being like, "I'm sending out blessings, people. Like, what's up? Like, I'm here," kind of thing. And it, like, is it the, is it almost like I, I'm almost wondering, is it that hormone like kick of being like, "I did something," or is it the like actual result of what happens? Hmm. Yeah, yeah it's over to you, Dan. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I think magic is not only an a practice, but it's also an attitude, but it's also a worldview. So for example, before this podcast, I was reviewing the bylaws for Emergence Benefactors, the charity I'm creating to help support the EPRC, my international research uh, consortium project that I'm doing with all these cool people and friends, all of us together. And um, we, uh, the bylaws are part of the spell of how you cast a not-for-profit corporation. Like those are the words you use to cast one. Right. And so I think of that as like, you know, that's the spell book. It's it is it's writing the spell book of what we're going to do and how we're going to govern ourselves and how our conflict conflict of interest spell and our, you know, our whistleblower spell, like the policies and procedures and the legal voting things and all of that is the spell of how you create a nonprofit, right? And so that's there. I think of it all as the same. Like it's there's no difference to me or boundaries. I'm just casting all day long in various forms, and sometimes it looks like this, and sometimes it looks like that, and sometimes it has wands, and sometimes it's you know uh, word documents and stuff, and sometimes it's phone calls to lawyers, and sometimes it's sending money, and sometimes it's doing whatever it's doing or meeting with friends. That's all part of the spell. So I look at it as a grand casting that encompasses everything, and I just proceed on all fronts. And it's it's certainly the results of magic are interesting, and they can definitely give some people tremendous faith that a magical attitude might um, have some value in the mix. But also, I think our subconscious, 
our subconscious aspects respond very well to ritual. This is not a profound statement. The vast majority of cultures and religions know this. That's why they do it. Uh, but I think for people who have lost the sense of ritual or prayer, as you mentioned, just reconnecting with the degree to which our subconscious minds appreciate that. And there are deep aspects of ourselves that think that way and respond very healthily to that kind of thinking sometimes if we can use it skillfully and not unskillfully. That in and of itself is powerful brain hacking tech that is old and well established and hence uh, so popular. Nice. I love love that term brain hacking tech. <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, uh, Daniel, just just kind of based off of you, you said you know I would love to see you know if this deep jhana work assists with uh, with um, COVID. Uh, we actually have a question from someone in, in the Reddit forum uh, that basically says um, I would love to hear Daniel's take on light jhana versus heavy jhana debate, um, and do they both count as jhana or should they have a specific standard? Wow. Okay. So back to another question. All right. Um, I think that, okay, so I can both appreciate dimensional thinking where you're sort of shades of gray of how much is one factor or another factor present and in what combinations. And I can also very think where you weren't in jhana and then you shift and all of a sudden you are. And wherever you want to draw that line, there's an obvious demarcation, both temporarily and experientially of sort of a quantum shift, like, okay, this is really concentrated in a way a few seconds ago, definitely wasn't, or this suddenly just dropped some factor that had been so powerfully prominent until seconds ago. And then at the end of the outbreath, there's the shift and all of a sudden you're in an entirely new space, attention shape, you know, uh, degree to which things are included and excluded. And so I'm very comfortable in both of those types of language, but being a pragmatist rather than, and, you know, trying to be some asshole of orthodoxy. Oops, did I say that? Sorry, a little bit of bleed through. <laughs> um, uh, they, you know, um, I consider that people need to figure out which language is working for them now and helping them do something useful. And there are definitely practitioners that one or the other is gonna be better for. And I can very much appreciate the high standards of people saying, you know, it's not until your body is gone and you had no thoughts and nothing but a bright light, you know, pervading your entire experience for four hours or whatever is the first shana, you know, but for most people that's, that's just fuckery, right? Just to be straight up emotionally honest. Yeah. But there are practitioners for whom that's a totally reasonable thing to be talking about because it makes sense to them as within their reasonable, could attain that, have attained that, can do stuff like that. You know, and then, so I think it's it's really important to sort of match the language and the conceptual frame and the rigidity with which you apply various criteria to something that actually makes sense for you that day or as a practitioner. Um, and both are kind of useful in various contexts. Is that helpful? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> do, you know what, do, do you know what? I would love if you could just explain, uh, just for people like like myself. I, I I've actually spoken to Tom, so I know a little bit more about this. But could you explain what a jhana is, just for for people who uh, might not have done any meditation practice or, or or very little and might not have reached the stage within their practice? Sure. Okay. So this is traditional Theravadan terminology that actually clearly is pre-Buddhist and also under the term dhyana occurs in multiple Hindu traditions. And then it get, the word gets used differently with kind of different criteria and implications 
in in you know the, the Zen people almost never talk about it. The Tibetans talk about it, but they talk about it really differently. And so it's a wild world out there in terms of people how you use this. But I'm going to go back to old school Theravada. This is old school Buddhism, um, Southeast Asian Buddhism, as some people would call it, or whatever. Sri Lanka, Burma, you know, Thailand mostly, um, Cambodia a little bit, and then. Uh, so basically, it's levels of depths of concentration. So you'd be going along, and you can't concentrate on your objects, and you've got a bunch of hindrances of doubt or fear or worry or restlessness of desire or whatever. Okay, and then at some point you, you get so you can actually get something called access concentration. Access concentration variously defined, huge range of possible definitions. I'm just going to go with this one. It's when you can actually stay with your objects and begin to actually access what are called jhanic factors. So jhanic factors are things like bliss and happiness and tranquility and stability of mind and seclusion from the hindrances, right? And the ability to apply and sustain attention on an object. So this is the first jhana definition actually is it has applied and sustained attention. Vitaka and Vichara, you can stay with your object. You're secluded from the hindrances, meaning all these like thoughts that were knocking you off your game there, or feelings or whatever. Whatever, not a problem now, you can stay with the breath. You can go up with the breath. You can go down with the breath or your mantra or your visualization or whatever the hell it is you're using as your concentration object. You know, there's tons of them, but you know, and you're able to do that like here, I'm able to stay on the object. Mm -hmm. I'm able to stay on the object. I am secluded from the hindrances. They are not bothering me with effort. I can just stay on it like I would keep my hand on a moving thing or whatever, or you know, keep my mind on my feet if I'm skateboarding. That and and this can feel very much like kind of like a flow state to some people. It's all kind of, you know, flow states and how they relate to genre is a whole nother topic. But um, the sense of like I can actually do this, I can concentrate. I am able to stay with things and it feels good. Then with the dropping of that sense of effortfulness of having to like monitor and stay on an object with attention, that drops away. And all of a sudden, second jhana is like, you're able to stay with objects very naturally and the mind is clear and bright and just naturally attentive. And the bliss for some people can get much stronger. It really depends on the degree to which you're incorporating bodily objects into your practice. If you're, you know, people who are not incorporating as much bodily stuff may not notice as much bliss. It varies, it's a whole, whole huge topic. There's a lot of variability and possible objects and stuff and variants. But then with the dropping of the, the sense of like heavy rapture and really, really good feelings, suddenly then there's this wide open, cool sort of tranquil bliss. And with the dropping of that, there's just this vast sort of open flowy or very silent or still equanimity, which can become progressively more formless. And then what's the co correlation between the four formless realms of boundless space, boundless consciousness, nothingness, and neither perception nor yet non-perception are those realms or are those actually the fifth through eighth jhanas? Again, there's scholarly debate, that's fine. Um, but then, so progressively refined states of meditative concentration and remove, basically, it's almost a subtractive process. You're subtracting hindrances and subtracting heady bliss and effort and subtracting cool bliss and subtracting even equanimity and body and then subtracting form. And then you get into more and more refined, um, finely abstracted states. Uh, so that would be sort of traditional what genres are in a nutshell. Well, maybe a long nutshell. Oh, no, abs absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. Tom, go for it. Um, yeah, so we, you talked about the out-breath uh, with regard to jhana, uh, to jhana, and you and I have talked about the out-breath a little bit as well, and almost to the point where I forget how you, we were, we were in Arizona sitting on a back porch, and we were talking about, you know, 
get just almost, I think at that point, we're talking about getting to stream entry and that out breath really being important. And it was almost like it was a secret weapon, really, really just concentrate on the out breath. And that has been hugely, hugely valuable for me. It's almost like, nice. the out, yeah, the out breath is almost like connective tissue to, to keep you from, to actually allow those integrated parts to stabilize, to stay stable. And then to build more integration, more uh, more ability to to expand your consciousness, your uh, attention, and so that that outbreath has all has been a very important part to almost it's almost like a bridge, right? And without concentration on the outbreath, you can find yourself continually losing integration, continually losing attention. Um, so can you talk about that a little bit? You t I don't know if it was a yeah, I'm thinking that it was a publicly uh, shared thing, but talk oh, yeah. about the outbreath as a secret weapon. Yeah, so that's actually where a lot of people space out. So our mind kind of detunes from the outbreath because actually, in some ways, the outbreath is like a, a series of gateways or doorways or you know portals that you can jump through almost if you're in the right state and setup. And the vast majority of significant state shifts, where you're in one state of mind and then you suddenly shift to the other, happen at the out at the end of the out breath. There are a few that can happen at the the top of the breath as well when it stops on the end of the in breath. So okay, fine. But the majority happen. You drop. You know, you're you're in one state. You drop down. Out breath going down. And then all of a sudden. It starts coming up and you come into a new space. And there just some, seems to be something essentially physiological about the mind of that as an easy phase of whatever brain waves and experience and God knows what of some deep structure and how it relates to consciousness and probably reticular activating system. And I don't know, I'm just sort of making up bullshit neurological stuff at this point, but something, right? As everybody who's noticed this, like there's something about the end of the outbreath that not only is it a common place for people to space out. So if you're attuned to that, you can anticipate that and not space out on it. But also somewhere down there are these shifts that can take place where all of a sudden from one second to the next, from one uh, out breath to the next coming in breath, you're suddenly in two very different mental spaces. And the second one is somehow better generally. There are exceptions. Um, and so the, or, or farther down some progression, even though it may not necessarily be as pleasant as the previous one. And so being able to attend to the end of the outbreath is lots of people like Shinzen Young and people, you know, mention all the time, uh, this yeah. is a really good thing to be able to do. And definitely one of these sort of one weird trick that'll make your meditation better. This is one of them. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, what? Um, it, it's super interesting. You mentioned the outbreath because there's so many aspects in life where that outbreath, like one that I thought of is like riflers or, or, or archers mm. when they're in mad competition. They go on the out breath because it is the moment when you are most still. Everything in your body, like is at its most still. Your, your, even your pulse slows and everything. So, I, what, what I wanted to maybe theorize off of what you said is like, there's a chance that maybe even that that, that out breath. The reason that there's so much like peace and calmness there is because it's the closest thing to, uh, excuse my bleakness, death. You know, it's the closest thing to that infinite blackness and nothingness that is like what we consider the human peace zone you know it's 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 very interesting that it's one of the few places in life that we get to on that outbreath at the end of that outbreath where you are as close to being dead without being warm and having blood pumping around you as you possibly can be and i wonder if and you said you feel different on that in breath and it's almost like that rejuvenation of life you know it comes back in you and you're like like the thing that keeps me alive is the air and i'm back you know and and, and so 
I wonder if it's because of that whole like life and death kind of uh, space that humans get into when breath is within the lungs and when breath is without the lungs. Mm. Yeah, definitely extremely liminal on the boundary of. It's a place where the mind seems to be more loosely put together in some way and is able to more easily reconfigure into totally different modes of being. And so it's almost like the reset button on a computer or you know, it's, it's, it's a place where all of a sudden the train tracks can diverge. It's a, it's a junction point. It's yeah. Like a portal, uh, a multi, a multifaceted portal where you can go a lot of different directions. Yeah. It's definitely an important trick. Yeah. And it's, I think there's different, different elements to it. So it is that, um, that portal, which can take you to different places, but if you can stay with it and stay connected to you, to it, 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 it allows you to not get, uh, distracted or almost like reset back to where you were you know you can have this sort of almost like reset um cycle that you know you get to the out breath you forget that whatever you had integrated in the in the previous cycle is gone and you're, you're trying to find it again and here you are back again if you can just stay with it it can start building it can start kind of establishing a foundation of awareness of consciousness um, each breath starts building on itself and the other thing that's really important sometimes it's scary. Like if you get real quiet down there, you get real to the end of that out breath and not a lot's going on. You're right, Bodhi. That is, that's like the abyss down in there. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes you, you know, you almost pull back sometimes and you're like, Whoa, <laughs> that, that was, that was real. That was too quiet. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know <laughs> if I'm ready for that one yet. Um, yeah. So. That's, that's an interesting space to get into. Let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about that because something that, you know, um, I know I've talked about with, uh, with Nikki, my girlfriend and other people is, you know, the negative things that happen uh, when you do start mindfulness and meditation. I won't say negative, but the, the feelings of like, like you've said, fear and like doubt and things like that start creeping in and you start having all these, these different feelings, uh, not to mention Tom, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, some, something for people to understand is Tom's a fully grown man, you know, for him to say that he's afraid of what's at the end of his breath is is pretty it's it's that's a big like that's big like you you need to like that's big universe shit when you actually think about a fully grown man is going i'm afraid of what's at the end of my breath like that's that's huge like that's a big thing and and me could try and conceptually think about that at the moment is and it, it's true and that's why i was talking about earlier with you know you giving the example of myself with my brain being very jumbled it's in those moments where you are in pitch blackness and you hit the end of that out breath and you're like, Jesus Christ, this is, yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fear mixed with uh, so many other things that, that go on in that moment. But yeah, Tom, like, like the fact that you said that I think is awesome because not many men of our age or your generation are happy to admit that they're afraid of their own bodily functions, which is, kind of, you know, kind of, kind of interesting. And I, I think that's a, that's pretty awesome that, you know, that, that one that you can admit that and that, that that is a thing that exists, that, that, that people can explore that space as well. Because even though it might be scary, sometimes in life, the scariest things are the ones where you discover the most or find the most out about yourself and things like that. It's so true. You just you just touched on something, Bose, which is, you know, we, we there's different aspects of the of the of the cycle and of the path. But one of them is about being comfortable with with being uncomfortable getting more comfortable with being uncomfortable. And there's one particular area called reobservation where there's tremendous, there's can be times where it's, you cannot even, 
you don't want to be in your own skin. You want to be somewhere other than where you are and you'll do anything to do it. Um, I, I almost picture, you know, and this is, this is a pretty, probably pretty crude analogy, but um, there's stories of during 9-11 with people up on the, you know, up on the, the World Trade Center tower where they knew that it was really hot in there and they knew that that was bad out there. But at some point they made a they made a snap decision that I just can't be here anymore, so I got to be over there. And there's a, there's an aspect of reobservation which is I just don't I can't I don't know what I need to do, but I can't be here anymore. If you can get comfortable with that and curious about it, and it's hard to, but if you can really start understanding the mechanisms, like the motor behind that, that can be hugely powerful in your everyday life because those things that start crippling you that start um, debilitating you in certain situations, pressurized situations. And now you're just like looking at it, okay. And you're a little bit more familiar with, okay, this is that bit. This is how it manifests itself inside of me. My chest gets tight. Sometimes I start feeling like my skin is crawly. I just don't want to, you know, my breath sometimes gets more shallow, all of those things. And I can watch it and almost observe it as a third party entity. I can be with it a little bit more. And at some point it, ha it starts losing its power. Like it starts becoming defanged. And so um, that's, that's a, a huge point. And I, I know, Daniel, you talk extensively about reobservation and about the, uh, the challenge, but also the reward in that space. And it's, to me, it's probably the, the most uh, fruitful space to progress yourself that I've experienced so far. That's true. Yeah, the deep end of the dark night, while the most challenging is also the place where the most important growth occurs. Yeah. Wow. What a sudden, Not that it what, has what, to be hard, but uh, when it is hard, there is still tremendous growth potential there. What yeah, an amazing sentence. What an amazing sentence as well. God, Thanks. that 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 warmed me in my soul. That actually a little bit. Little bit. That was that was awesome. I felt like you you should be narrating a comic book as we like enter like the the the, the scene with that line. That was amazing. God. It was um, the deep end of the dark night is where growth happens most. Something like that. I Something can't remember like it. Yeah. We can Luckily, it's that, on so. video. It was, yeah, it was so genuine and natural that it just came out beautifully. That's, Ooh, that's, that's why. Do you know what? And I, I want to say, well, Tom, you were talking that I was thinking about philosophy and like life philosophy and stuff. And I, I wanted to ask because obviously there's loads of philosophers through history and loads of incredible people who have come up with amazing theories about life and life experience and, and, and stuff. How much, Daniel, do you feel like obviously the religious stuff there's a lot of crossover with philosophy there but with core meditation removing any sort of religious beliefs or things like that do you feel like the the crossover with philosophy is quite hard do you would you even maybe consider yourself a philosopher in some sort of ways oh i'm extremely philosophical i'm, I'm a huge fan of the whole discipline of philosophy and spend mm -hmm. a reasonable time and still sometimes do reading not only religious texts about religious philosophy, but also um, philosophy in its more secular sense, not that it often doesn't end up sort of looking like its own religion, it often does. Um, but there are a lot of philosophers I super appreciate. I very much appreciate the Stoics, they can be taken too far, but I think they're just super useful, um, pragmatic and, and just helpful for a lot of things. Uh, their attitudes and specifics can be very applicable. Um, I find uh, David Hume extremely interesting. Uh, just the fact that the immediacy of experience being the first basis, the sort of the British empiricists in general, uh, just top-notch work, I think. And um, 
you know, obviously some of the later people who built on them, Kierkegaard and Schopenhauer, very interesting stuff. But um, uh, I think the discipline of philosophy and just being able to apply the intellect as a powerful and interesting tool, I, I think it philosophy is a great tool and uh, it's a great servant and a terrible master. So I, I think it's a very interesting thing to be able to use when it's helpful. Um, but I would not like to be ruled by most of the philosophers I've run into, as I would find every single one of them too limiting and narrow for the grand and amazing thing that life is. Mm -hmm. And maybe because not as many of them meditated, interestingly, or maybe because some of them didn't That's get That's complicated, into... actually. And the degree to which they were involved in mystery schools or took psychedelics or had powerful mystical experiences. Actually, there's a long history of, of a lot of the great thinkers like Rene Descartes being being the classic example of you know a powerful thinker in the West who also had very powerful experiences that I would map very straightforwardly to arising and passing away to dark night territory and sometimes to equanimity. And so I think that um, there is this weird thing where I'm guessing actually most of the great philosophers had something of the spiritual journey as I would think of it happen to them. And there's plenty of evidence for this. Actually, Einstein is another one. And then writers and poets that seem mystical as well as philosophical, like Tolstoy and T.S. Eliot, um, who describe very powerful mystical experiences, et cetera. And a lot of the Greeks uh, were in, seriously involved in mystery school stuff where we don't know exactly what they were taking, but these people were tripping balls, right? And so, <laughs> and having some kind of spiritually transformative experience. And so, yeah, I, I don't think it's so easy to cleanly differentiate these. And my guess is there is more to the story that even a lot of them didn't report because you see hints of deep wisdom in some of their insights and you're like, they must have been seeing something. Right. It's hard to imagine all of it is purely intellectual. Mm. And do, do, do you know what, like, uh, I guess off of that, I want to kind of segue into a question about you as a person and your position within this community and, and even within your own head about where you are in the community. What responsibility do you feel? Do you carry a weight, if any, on your shoulders about what you're presenting to the community, the philosophical, the the uh, mindfulness, the the different things that you are putting out into the world that people are now living their lives by, the, the old man who I know very well being one of them, um, you know, do you carry that weight? Does that weigh on you, dude? Like, like how much does that kind of shit bear down on you on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, a lot. So there is a tremendous amount of responsibility that comes with all this. And we're all flawed mammals. And that's a super scary thing to think about that we're all these sort of, you know, we only know what we know. We only can see what we can see. And every single thing you do is going to have good and bad consequences, right? So as soon as you say something is something you've, you know, there's someone else for whom that might not apply. And you can't always know how things are going to read to any particular audience. And you try to build in safeguards and counterbalancing technology, but people sometimes, you know, just totally miss it or they misinterpret it. That's, mm -hmm. and it, that can cause endless chaos. And so I actually, you know, help a number of people a week who have been in some way fried by this stuff as you know and even though i build all of these warnings in in the first few pages of my book and they just keep on coming that said um you know we all try our best based on what we know but it's all limited and flawed 
And so that, which is why I also refer people to tons of other people's work to try to bring some greater breadth and balance and everything to what I do. And I try to refer people to friend networks who are coming from other perspectives and refer people to the healthcare industry in situations where I think hopefully the healthcare industry, even as little as it knows about any of this stuff, will hopefully do them some good and therapy and, and all of that. And, and so there is a lot of sense of responsibility. And, but you, know, you can only take that so far because it, otherwise there would just be responsibility paralysis, right? Where I have a bunch of friends who are, the whole thing seems so daunting or overwhelming or they're too appreciative of what can go wrong. They don't put anything out there. And I think even though they may have some really good stuff to share if they weren't so afraid. And so trying to balance, yes, the weight of responsibility with the obligation to at least try to further the conversation as best all of us flawed mammals can, realizing it's gonna be, you know, the, you know, as soon as you remember this is from a Buddhist point of view, the realm of samsara ruled by the demon Mara. Yeah, it's gonna be a shit show, but you can at least <laughs> try within the context of the shit show to lend something that hopefully will do more good than harm. Yeah, you know, that's, that's awesome. And I think, you know, for anyone listening, anyone who disagrees with what Daniel says or anything like that, you know, I put your I own good important. stuff out there. Like, show us how it's done, kids. Yeah. You know, like if we're if you think like, we're fucked it up, like take it to the next level. And, you know, yeah. I have no problem with that. hundred percent. And I think, you know, people need to hear that you you're a person at the end of the day. You you know that what you're doing is is carrying weight. You know that you have responsibility within the words that you speak and the, the actions that you take both on the internet, both in person and, uh, and in any other form. Um, so I think it, it's important for everyone to remember that, you know, we're all just trying to do things. And I think, again, to, to your point, the courage to say something is a big thing. And I think, you know, you're right in that. Yeah. The, and, and Tom talks about this all the time. It's one of my favorite things that Tom talks about. He talks about secret like professionals or secret geniuses basically the people who are like unbelievable at something who maybe never discover that they're unbelievable at it or find out that they're unbelievable and never present themselves to the world and exist in this like solitude of, of not existing within the planet and don't get me wrong there's there's some there's some beauty and honor to being like oh I, i'm gonna accept my piece and i don't need the the you know publication one but I also go, there's courage in stepping out and going, hey, this is what I think, and I hope it helps you, because if it does help you, then I've done one thing that I wanted. And if it doesn't help you, then that's fine, and I can recommend someone else, and there is someone else. I promise you there's someone else. But if I help you, then I'm glad that I said that. And I think that's the part that some of the people within uh, life as a whole are missing out on in, in terms of making a mark in the world on your on your people even as far as your social bubble then even bigger to your community bubble and even bigger to your state or providence bubble to your country to the world like you decide what effect you have on all of that and i think it takes balls to do what you do daniel in terms of go hey this is what i think and if it helps you then i can give you some more advice but otherwise let's just like don't worry move on kind of thing i i, I respect the hell out of that I think it's it's a good lead in Daniel as well to your current work because you know you're you're you know there's it just seems like there's been chapters to your life and um it seems like this is a, a, a the beginning of a new chapter and you talked about the the EPRC and the work that you're doing with that but it's a it's a massive initiative that I know um I'm, I'm, I guess I'm going to have a hunch here in saying that um 
mastering the core teachings of the Buddha sits very, very sort of prominent on your shelf of accomplishments. But the EPRC perhaps could be your your magnus your magnus opus if you if you if you can really um, bring into existence what you envision, then this could be the lasting, really, really impactful um, uh, initiative that, that could move a lot of people, change a lot of people, change the world. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, the EPRC, or Emergent Phenomenology Research Consortium, and Emergence Benefactors, the charity we're, we're creating to help fund and support it, is now a 50-something person international multidisciplinary research consortium where we're attempting to, to bring, bring clinical sensibilities and common sense and phenomenology to the world of spiritual, mystical, magical, energetic, kundalini, awakening, you know, dark night, you know, hero's journey, shamanic, archetypal, whatever experiences you want to call them, um, to mainstream clinicians, many of which may have never had any of these experiences. But we, we firmly believe that there is a way to understand more of the underlying physiology of these things, to be able to group them into reasonable diagnostic sort of categories or syndromes, um, mm -hmm. somehow to have some reasonable taxonomy and expansile taxonomy of them to be able to follow them longitudinally and see what they actually lead to in terms of outcomes such that providers of healthcare and mental healthcare and you know emergency medicine and psychiatry and neurology, et cetera, can relate to these experiences in a much more skillful way that really adds a lot more value to patient care and such that practitioners and family members of practitioners and friends, et cetera, relating to people who are experiencing either the really good stuff or the really challenging stuff or the weird stuff can hopefully have more just straightforward information on these human experiences that have been reported you know for thousands and thousands of years across traditions and to be able to bring clinical and scientific and epidemiological and public health etc sensibilities to these and be able to give you know doctors and nurse practitioners and nurses and therapists and stuff reasonable differential diagnosis to give them some data on you know do they actually need to get the fMRI or the EEG to be able to distinguish them from other conditions like migraines or strokes or seizures or whatever you know uh, mental conditions or whatever people are you know wondering if they might be some uh, something related to, and to understand the the role of pharmaceuticals and all of this, the realm, the you know realm and role of different practices, uh, you know related to all of this, spiritual practices, points of view, paradigms, language, ontologies, uh, all of that, and to be able to have that incorporated into like national you know health policy and the DSM five and ICD ten and eleven WHO billing codes, that's the project, and so that's huge. That will take many decades. Um, it will take a, a huge team. So it's certainly not going to be my magnum opus. It's going to be the magnum opus of an amazingly large team of incredible people who share the vision that this just needs to happen. The 120 years of various people failing to do this is no longer acceptable that meditation and psychedelics and other spiritual practices and hot yoga and all of these things that can create these kinds of experiences. And sometimes they just rise spontaneously as well and for no obvious reason. Um, th there are just too many of these people now and the healthcare industry has to be empowered and partnered with to figure out language and frameworks and ways that they can help add value to the care and the journey of people who are on this path. Um, because it's, it's just no longer acceptable that these things be taboo things that you'd be scared to tell a healthcare provider about because you would feel they would actively harm you. That, that's not what they went into healthcare for. That's not what you went to them for. We can do better. 
and so trying to build on the, the failed, unfortunately, work of like the transpersonal psychology and psychiatry movement, which has largely failed to penetrate the mainstream and all the previous work of like Abraham Maslow and William James and people who came before them and finally get this thing done. It's going to cost tens of to hundreds of millions of dollars, probably hundreds of millions realistically. It's going to take some number of decades, I think, unfortunately, if previous attempts at this or any indication of how hard this is, but it just needs to happen. And luckily, there's enough of a groundswell of serious people in serious universities with serious degrees and capabilities and talents and perspectives and resources that hopefully we can get it done this time. And that's what I've dedicated the next few decades of my life if I'm blessed enough to have that much good health and capability for that long. Or even if I don't still, you know, if I died tomorrow, I'd still have died feeling like that me and my friends were doing the thing that seriously needed to happen, that our, our skill sets and our life experiences and our own journeys really um, sort of call to us and say, you just need to do this. And so that's the vision. And so if any of you out there, by the way, are interested in helping with this, you have either resources or talents or capabilities or experiences or whatever it is that you think could lend to a project like that, please get in touch with us at info at theeprc.org. That's info at theeprc.org. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, do you know what? That's, that's a, uh... That's absolutely badass, dude. Like, uh, can I can I ask you a question? Is is the image is is like what you're picturing in your head a world where both healthcare and uh, and the holistic side and and the spiritual side and all of that uh, work is one con uh, con uh, cohesive unit. Sorry, the trying to get my words out. Uh, is or that maybe kind complementary of the goal? units. It will probably end up as something like complementary units, but at least they would know when to refer to each other and have more yeah. common language and common understanding and, and appreciation of where they all may fit into helping people do better. Of course. Yeah, no. I, I, I mean, I, again, this is the one thing that I come back to is, you know, I, I struggle to believe the holistic stuff sometimes and, and, and that kind of stuff, but I, I always that. come back to if it's something that helps you and you believe in it, then there's no way that I can say, bro, don't do that. Like there's no, there's no way. So I go, yeah, there's, there's definitely room and it needs to be something where for the people that do follow those kinds of things and do utilize those practices more so than for example, uh, you know, standard healthcare or in other cases alongside it, then yeah, they need support in both areas. You're totally right. I think, you know, uh, to anyone listening, one incredible project, you know, big thing, you know, if you do have help, God, please, please help. Like that sounds absolutely incredible. What did so you I want to say, Tom? To, to, no, well, just to make it uh, maybe even more real. So you mentioned earlier, Bodhi, about, you know, doing a, a hallucinogenic and um, being on, you know, on that trip and then having an afterglow for two or three days and then having a crash. There's a, there's most people out there don't even understand that that is actually a logical expected uh, outcome and some you know sometimes you get to that crash and you start you know unwinding a little bit and being stuck in that place and just having a little bit more awareness having some scientific rigor behind um, information that is accessible to you even going to your gp and them saying oh yeah that's uh that's part of the whole process man don't worry about it uh, you don't need any medication just write it out you might want to do some breathing exercises get out there and run a little bit and that's going to pass um, it might be more extreme this time or less extreme this time, but it's completely something to, as a human being, something that we experience. That's not out there at all in any way. And that's right. why people get stuck in, you know, in these places and they start beating themselves up. They start thinking they're not worthy. 
or you know, or they they can't cope, and they don't realize that just just understanding that that's part of the cycle gets you gets you along the way in the cycle and eventually out of that part of it. Hugely important, specifically with drugs as well. What you just mentioned can often lead to addiction. That that lack of knowledge of of that dark place leading to oh, I need to go again. Like you know that kind of thing in that that cycle like that's where that kind of goes without that information you know and that's that's why you know like like what you said tom you know and it, it's the my favorite my favorite thing on this on this whole planet is when i inform um healthcare professionals that i consume cannabis um <laughs> it's it's just the funniest thing ever watch i've had nurses be like oh my goodness no you're so young you must quit you must quit now Please, young man, leave this doctor's office with this leaflet that I give you and quit forever. And I'm like, like, I've also had other amazing doctors that have spoke to me. Like I had one before I had a big, massive cancer surgery um, mm. and I had smoked the day of the surgery. And he was like, it's not a problem. We can still put you under. It doesn't affect anything. Actually, I, I assume it's helping you be more calm. So actually, I'm glad you did so today. And like it, 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 very different approach from different medical professionals. And like you said, there's no cohesive answer from any of them. You get the spectrum of, oh my God, to, uh, dude, that's totally cool. Like, I don't fucking care. Why, why did you even tell me? Like, that, that's cool, good good for you. Like, go, go enjoy yourself. And then you get the ones that are like, oh, here's some advice. Like, do it, but maybe think about this and think about that. And so, yeah, I think there needs to be more cohesive information and av information available to people to be able to answer those questions and to not feel like they're alone in those moments uh, or or being chastised or criticized in those moments either or being told things that seem to be totally crazy or you know experientially untrue or whatever i think a lot of trust is actually broken when we attempt to enforce our paradigms on people when they're having radically different experiences in their own life of the consequences of whatever it is they're doing you rapidly lose a lot of trust as you just basically explained you know by your impression of the person and that doesn't help the therapeutic relationship right as, mm -hmm. a, as a care provider right so you need to keep all that in mind totally 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 i've got i got one uh that i i guess it's a personal question but it's also something that someone shared as well so this is um something around the the consideration of attention-based practices like Vipassana versus awareness-based practices like Mahamudra or Dogen. Um, so is it better, the question, the actual question that was offered up, is it just better for some people to practice one versus the other style or is there a path to it? First trying to drill down sensation and then let it go when you're near the end of the path. And what's the value of balancing attention and awareness? So in my experience, I feel like I need to incorporate more expansion and more integration of my surroundings a little bit more. I feel like I've really done a, a fairly you know, good job of deconstructing my own sensory field, but I need to now kind of bring that out into uh, allowing that all to fit in together and that whole integration to happen. What are your thoughts on, is there a typical consideration with that or is it is it all still very customized to each person's needs i think it's 
both customized and there are general things that can be said. So it is clearly true as anybody who's been in a group of a thousand people who got these kinds of Zog Trenny pointing out instructions that a few people just hearing that will be like, wow, and flash into super cool territory they never had been before. And it just shows them the way and that was exactly what they needed to hear and good on them, right? And so, you know, these sort of Dzogcheni Mahamudri. And again, those are big complicated traditions actually. So this is a, a shorthand for Western, small version Dzogchen and Mahamudra that is not the full grand complicated things that you actually find in their original and is basically shorthand for wide open immediate however it's happening you know sort of uh taking result as method kind of practices right so I'm, I'm some scholar of this is freaking out right now <laughs> but you know what I mean like the pop culture version of the terms is what I'm meaning I'm maybe, sorry to any sticklers maybe just maybe we could have just a a, a, a 20 second contextual differentiation between Vipassana and then that other class, um, attention-based versus awareness-based. Maybe maybe that's the... Yeah, okay. So there's there's the Dzogcheni stuff. And then there's the, the Vipassana-ish sort of thing where you notice sensations of breathing and you notice a thought as a thought. You notice a this is a that. And there's this active, this is that, that is this. I see this, I notice that, I identify this. There's this breath, there's this mental impression, there's this sensation, there's this intention. Right? There's a sound, there's a thought, there's this very much like I am going to build up a capacity linearly to notice all the things in my experience using noting or you know body scanning or you know focus on breath or whatever it is. You're going to train attention and all these basic skills and fundamental perceptual things that you're going to build up to some big collective thing that hopefully eventually becomes everything and you know becomes stream entry or some higher path or whatever map you're using. Right. And so both of these things can be super useful and valuable. And if you happen to be one of those people who you give them like, this is just it all right now as it is, how could it be otherwise? You know, people that are just so ready and ripe for that. And that's just all you needed to drop from the tree is a ripe piece of fruit. Okay, cool, but that's not most people. And most people given those instructions are just gonna kind of space out and be like, okay, this is it, but, and then they're thinking about their back pain or their childhood again or whatever. Right. And so those people who, when they're given the pointing out instructions, if you don't really flash into something cool and then kind of sustain it or whatever, are going to probably need to train to a point where you go through these stages and you get to this place where you're all tight and constricted and ah, and then someone gives you that kind of instruction, you go, oh, yes, and you remember and are, you know, remember the openness and the expansiveness and the naturalness and the fluidity and the, the just thisness and all of that. And you get to equanimity and that gets you your path or whatever. And then it's also true that from a sort of a path, as we were talking about earlier, progression point of view, that as you get towards the later paths, right? Third path in particular is this big shift where these sort of Dzogcheni, Mahamudra-i, immediate, transient, ephemeral, luminous, empty, but full, but you know, whatever, integrative, kind of perspectives start making a whole lot of sense and start being super apl applicable for filling in, you know, this sort of vast, open, inclusive realization thing. But then there's also the point that sometimes really kind of fine grained technique to identify like last little outliers of subtle layers that are not well illuminated by the grand open thing that can also be really valuable. And so I think it's cool to have both tools or sets of tools or categories of tools in the toolbox. It's good to have an appreciation of whether or not they're working for you or not. And also appreciation of the range that there may be a lot of oscillation when they're good, when they're not to be able to move back and forth and have some sort of intuition as well as theory that helps guide that. Yeah. Right. Long answer. Awesome. Very no, helpful. No, super, super like detailed and very, very, 
I'm learning so much today, guys. God, I didn't think I was going to learn anything. I, I didn't think that I was planning on learning much today. I, oh, God, I've had a whole seminar this afternoon. This has been bloody phenomenal. Um, here's, I actually here's, a have... question. here's a question for you before you get to Go yours. Uh, what's your, like when you go to bed tonight and you're just going to be lying in bed, what's, what are you going to be going? What are you going to be? Are you going to be concentrating on your breath? Or are you going to be like doing some like uh, uh, body stuff, your thoughts, your, you know, or, or is it just going to be, you know, uh, none of that? Do you want, that? do you want honesty or do you want, the answer that I would like to say in front of Daniel. The honest truth is um, I'm scared, bro. Like the, the honest truth is I'm, I'm scared. I find meditation scary. Um, I, I have some personal demons that I have inside of me that um, I find scary to break into. And so my honest answer is I probably won't be thinking about that tonight when I go to bed is probably um, my, my most honest answer. But the best version of me and the version of Bodhi that is trying to improve and progress says uh, I will probably be focusing on my breath and trying to get <laughs> to a place of a uh, deeper relaxation than I have in the last couple of months. Um, Let me, before, actually, before, before, if, yeah. if demons are what's going on, you want to talk about the demon thing and we can talk about like dealing with demon tech. Right, because that would then suddenly seem super interesting, and and I think sure. other people, other people would also appreciate that as well. There's, there's oh yeah, the, the, this fear of closing your eyes and just being with yourself is not you know particular to you boats. This is a big, huge chunk of the population that have heard about mindfulness and heard about the benefits and all this stuff. They close their eyes and they're like, nope, not going there. So I think it might be a, a useful little topic to to jump into, Daniel. Mm, yeah. What, what are your what are your uh, any no any what are the, the demons tell me about the demons man <laughs> <laughs> as a true sorcerer um, wizard maze right. <laughs> um the, the 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 answer is um i guess um addiction um i guess um in some ways sexuality um and those are huge ones and very uh, commonly found Right. Yeah, and uh, and another one would be um, um, haha, great God, this is this is fucking yeah. I guess being being a good person. So in a weird way, in a weird way, I I don't I it's not that I don't think I'm a good person. It's that I worry that I'm not doing enough. For some reason, I always worry that I'm not doing enough and that I'm not contributing enough and that I'm not helping certain peoples in a certain way. And, you know, I, I, I could have, rather than taking that 20 minutes to myself, I could have been telling Tom that I love him more or spending time with more with my, my missus or whatever. So, yeah, those are, they're, dude, there's a mess of demons. Um, but those are some of the more like more ones that are big within my life, I would say, ones that I, I definitely am tend to avoid <laughs> but they're also angels right so the angel that wants you to not be um you know whatever bound and whatever addictions you're in right that's yeah. the recognition of that quality the angel that does care and wants to do good in the world the angel that does want you to be okay with whatever sexuality things are going on or feelings of guilt yeah. or survival guilt or that you're not doing enough like those are all angels as well and so you you find that most demons have this this other side to them right so yeah. like where you can find the compassion and the well-wishing and the beautiful ideals and the sense of purpose. And that that 
is also bound up in those questions and that's what makes them workable and interesting and gives them their energy and spark because if you didn't have that you wouldn't give a fuck and they wouldn't trouble you right so the only reason they're troubling is because of the angel aspect right and so if you're you know so that's a really important thing to spend some time investigating thoughts yeah no definitely like do, do you know what's interesting is i think the one thing that i'm proud of in my life at the moment as a 23 year old and Right, I'll, I'll clarify this in a second. But the one thing I'm very proud of as a 23-year-old is that I can sit across from you at the moment and tell you at least what those demons are and that I've been able to go internally and look at myself in a way that I can be honest about what those are and, uh, and do that. Now, am I at a point in my life where I want to tackle those? Am I at a point in my life where I want to implement strategies such as mindfulness, meditation, you know, other, other things to tackle those things? The answer is, if I'm honest, no, I'm at a place where I'm so thankful that I've been able to admit that I even like the addiction one was a big thing for me in, in my childhood. And Tom knows this. We we went around the block, especially when me and him were butting heads as father and son um, about my addiction. And um, he, you know, for years, like just to be honest, Tom would say, you are addicted. And I would go, no, fuck you. I'm not like you can't you can't define what I am like. No, not up to you. Years on, though, I know I am. I'm I, like being honest. I am, and I I suffer, and I uh, I reap the benefits, but I also suffer as much as anyone who is addicted to anything. And the the honest truth is, I, I'm very glad that I'm able to talk about where I am at this point in my life. But um, following that, like I said, I want to clarify in, in terms of you know uh, the angels and demons things. I I. I'm not honest about it to everyone, though, which is another thing that is weird because, you know, and and I I doubt they will ever watch this. But, you know, my girlfriend's parents don't know about my addiction. They don't know where I stand on that. And, um, you know, and it's not something that I am prepared to even talk to them about at this point. Um, But it's something that, you know, I'm able to admit to you and probably hundreds of people that watch this on the Internet. But for me, it's it's yeah, it's it's really weird. it's this hard, it's this hard space, dude. You're navigating weird space of moral, moral intentions as well as also moral consequences from everything as well. Uh, so it's weird. Yeah, I, I think that's my, that's my answer. Wow. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, we all have our things we struggle with. I, I actually, um, every single day, deal with imposter syndrome. So while it is true that I have an MD and an MSPH in epidemiology and all this meditation training and background, I get up every single day and I think, really, I'm going to talk to these people about meditation and try to help them? Really, I'm going to try to you know, help with the organization of this massive international research consortium? I mean, I've never done anything like that. How in the world could I possibly do that? And so literally every single day, multiple times a day, I have those kinds of thoughts of self-doubt. And that's actually totally common in the world of professionals. I used to have it every day driving to the ER. Every single day driving into the ER, I'd be like, why am I driving to the ER? I don't know anything about emergency medicine. And then I would get there and know something about what to do. And it turns out these kinds of things are actually super common. And even like when I take breaks from like working on my projects, I go, why am I taking a break to play my guitar or something? Shouldn't I just be going over those bylaws again to make sure they're really good or figuring out Mm. our fundraising strategy in further detail or whatever it is. And so I actually all day long feel those, you know, feelings um, 
you know, of those same kinds of things of inadequacy and am I doing the right thing and all of that, even though I dedicate, you know, the vast majority of my hours of my day to volunteering to help, I still don't feel it's enough. And, so I totally yeah. get that. Is it my turn? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Tom. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, uh, the, I don't know if I'd call mine imposter syndrome. I'd call it this, these feelings of inadequacy, these, these feelings of, um, you know, now I'm, I'm 55 um, and not as young as I was. And it's kind of snuck up on me a little bit. And um, I feel like I still haven't left a lasting mark and i know that's unfair to myself because you know i influence people around me there's a there's a there's a you know if i'm the stone and i, I drop it into the mill pond those ripples are real right and I've, I've impacted and helped people but in my mind um there's so much more to do there's so much more to do and i feel the clock almost you know almost always just ticking right oh yeah i feel that too yeah and uh and it's maximizing that time, staying healthy, staying alert, staying um, healthy of body, of spirit, of mind, so that I can, so now I can go the long race and see what you know what at the end is the tally. And I don't mean that in some sort of achievement. Maybe there is a bit of it as an, an achievement, um, maybe even ego type way. But for more for me, it's it's you know like what we're doing right now with Bodhi. This is a huge thing for me because it's uh, it's it's. It's something that goes beyond my life and, and, and into um, his experience and his, um, our relationship together that then can go on to further aspects of, uh, of, of relationships beyond us that impacts in ways that is really important to me. And uh, having people like you, Daniel, on the podcast to share out messages is super important to me. So this is a little space that I've explored that I've found that I've really enjoyed and want more of, but I feel the clock. You know, I continually feel it's, you know, the pendulum of the clock just going behind me. And it's almost like I keep looking back and I keep, you know, keep, like you said, should I, should I even be strumming my guitar right now? Um, so, and yeah. Do, do, do you know what? That brings me so much pain. I, I like, I, I want to clarify this on air that you saying that, Tom, brings me pain. And I'll, I'll explain why, because you being like feelings of inadequacy and i'm sure i'm sure like both ways because we you know we love each other but you've been like feelings of inadequacy and also going you know that there's this clock and there's so much more to do like dude you have achieved so much you are a genius within your own right and you don't even like clock it and it's crazy to me because the amount of inspiration you spread amongst just people that we know is like like even just referencing the the thing that mum told me about the recording that you made that has now been passed around you know 15 20 nhs nurses that are now sleeping well because of a guided meditation that you happen to record like just for what for one of t's friends like it hurts me that i know that even when it comes to the last section of your life i don't think you're going to be satisfied with what you have done and I don't think you're ever going to be fully like I did everything I could do. And what bums me out about that is that in the moments where you are playing your guitar, you're not enjoying the playing the guitar, which mm -hmm. is what bums me out more than anything. So yeah. in, in, in response to that, I think you're a badass. And I think, you know, and, and the clock thing is so funny, dude. It's now a 20. As soon as I hit 20, the clock appeared for me. I was like, oh. <laughs> 
what the fuck is that? I was like, that wasn't there before. Like, what the shit is that? And even at, tw- even at 20, I'm like, holy fuck, I need a job that's going to like support a house at some point and like a family. And like, or if I want a dog, like it needs insurance. Like, and sh- like, you know, like, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> that's some evil shit, right? But yes. <laughs> do, 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 do you know what I mean? I like it. it becomes that whole time thing where you're like, oh my God, like I need to, like, if I want to do things, I need to step take steps and so like and really in the last year i've really begun dedicating myself to it tom and feeling what you feel feeling that like like i referring back to the tabletop game i want to be the best dm that that is a fact i it's not it's not a it's not a like goal or it's a it is what i will be i know i will be because i fucking believe it and I, i will do everything in my power to get there but like it it I can't even describe that. It, 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 I, I don't even know. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it, it's this it's this weird place of, it makes me sad that I know that the clock is ticking for you because you are such an awesome person that doesn't deserve to have that pressure on your shoulders. It's kind okay. of what I'm saying. No, no, I appreciate that. And it's, it, it's not, it's not as grim as it sounds. Let's put it that way. There are, there are definitely <laughs> moments of satisfaction and um, yeah, definitely moments of, um, of contentment and of peace and certainly mindfulness has been a big 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 part of that just find that you know that that inter- inner peace then becomes outer peace and you know you've you've seen it Bodhi that I'm not I'm not the monster that I was uh you know 10 years ago uh and so uh, that's that's a good thing uh, you know what though let's just let's just pivot to one From more monster thing. to master that would be a great <laughs> book <laughs> that is it's a good name of a book <laughs> Um, it's it's, you know M- it's it's Eminem from Monster to Master. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of Dungeon Master or Monster to Master, um, which so what's your experience with Dungeons and Dragons, Daniel? Have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? I think I talked to you once before, and you played back a previous like version of it. Is, is this in your younger days? Yeah, so I started with literally the first version back when it was you know. Um, the, the, the old little the old little books no before no before advanced i have the, i have a first edition you know player's handbook first edition monster manual first edition dungeons Ma- master's guide but there was the old book that was just the, the box that was just dungeons and dragons yeah. with the old blue book and then there were old brown books even before that right so this has gone i i started on those so um this has gone through a whole lot of iterations and i i um and i played through the first edition from the time I was 10 to 16. So this is like 1979 through uh, 1985-ish. And then sometimes on like on summers and stuff, like 85 to 87. And then all of a sudden it just disappeared from my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I was in college and I wasn't around anybody who was playing and I was doing bands and music. And all of a sudden that took over my life. But for many years, like that was one of my favorite things to do and would spend 10, 15, 20, 25, something hours a week playing Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> through my early to mid teens. Uh, yeah. And uh, that was just amazing times and made great friends and had a lot of fun and learned a lot about life, about magic, about uh, you know, risk taking and loss and strategy and relation, all kinds of stuff. I, communication, um, yeah, and just odds and stakes and it, and creativity. And I was usually dungeon master for a lot of that period. And so a lot about like, you know, how to give people challenges that are not too challenging, but you know, let them reap the consequences of their actions, but have some compassion in there too. And 
And, you know, and so like it was it was a fascinating bit of training and development. And I'm incredibly glad that I went through that phase. And actually, a friend of mine just got me the latest edition, you know, party pack of the books and some really cool new dice. And I just haven't had much time to look at it because, again, I'm, I'm you know, trying to figure out how to save the world. But, <laughs> you know, like, li like um, literally, not like, yeah, not but, like <laughs> but still, it would be tremendous fun to play. Actually, I would love to play again. It was so much fun. And it looks like it's come a long way. I was really excited by a lot of the developments of character classes and races and all that it seemed a lot more flushed out and that was really cool to see yeah, yeah. Well, we're, work we're working not not to give away too much but we're working on a setting that's uh set up in the sky with um airships and uh and all of the the magical elements that you could ever you could ever think of it's it's been a hugely creative process and a lot of work but it's been very satisfying we just had a session yesterday and but by the way like, you know how you lose time and when you're sitting in meditation at times, whether you're doing a fire scene or whatever, you can sometimes if you're in a space, if you're in an equanimity space or in a jonic space or something like that, you can literally, you know, come out of it and be like, oh, that was two hours or that was two and a half hours. That felt like about 35 minutes. Uh, it's the same with it's same with D&D, &D, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Like you can literally there is something weird going on there. Yeah. We sat seven down hours gone, gone like that. Yeah. <laughs> literally, it's it's I think, do you know what it is? I I think for anyone that is laughing right now because we're talking about Dungeons or Dragons or um, is the, you know, the rip guy in a tank top who's like, oh, these nerds are like, ha. Oh. Actually, I used to play with the ripped guy in the tank top was one of the, my friend Brian Moran, uh, the, the serious kung fu guy, by the way, was serious musculature, was one of the guys I played D&D &D with, actually. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. You know, it's, 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 it's one of those things where... It, you don't understand it until you experience it. It's one of those things where, it, and, and, and you need to, and, and the way that I can even just like introduce, like my, my advice in terms of introduction, if people are like, ha ha, D&D, &D, or you're, you're not ha ha ha, or you're very into it, please go and watch like Acquisitions Incorporated, uh, Critical Role, uh, Dimension 20. You know, these are, these are places where you can get some of, like their campaigns are unbelievable. And it's like watching a TV show that is a thousand times better because it's completely not restricted by budget, not restricted by, you know, uh, the lack of CGI or making something look realistic because it's all in your head. And so uh, don't get me wrong, obviously there's things where you've got miniatures and you've got like maps and battle maps and tokens and, you know, things like that. But at the end of the day, what it comes down to and the reason why I can advise anyone to play D&D is because it brings you together with your friends. You spend hours of your life doing things, laughing, having fun with your some of the closest people, or you will form, form bonds with these people and become the closest of friends. Not to mention, if you are the dungeon master or you're someone who is very much loving writing a deep, rich backstory, there's nothing more creative on this entire planet than building a world from literally going cool. So there's nothing. And now I've made something and what governs that and what ethereal entity or what plane and oh now like starting from universe down to and then down to and then to, to the finest grain of sand. Why is there a beach on this peak? Like, you know, and I think for anyone to understand that you have to read into it and you have to watch and you have to see what 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 people do. But the honest answer is if you like movies, if you like games, if you like anime, if you like 
TV shows like Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, like that kind of thing with that level of character development and stuff, D&D is actually for you. And I know it's Dungeons and Dragons, which sounds fancy, but for example, Dimension 20 does things like The Unsleeping City, which is based in New York. Uh, they do Fantasy High, which is based in a high school set in the modern age. So they have mobiles, they have cars, they have standard stuff. So you don't have to do the Lord of the Rings, which is what everyone pictures, the, you know, high fantasy, you know, elves and dwarves and, you know, save the world from darkness, you know, kind of uh, journey that everyone kind of pictures. But it, it really is this amazingly magical and creative space that nothing really else comes close to, if I'm honest. Like, yeah. It's been a like, super, I, cool, I, super cool experience. Super cool. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. 100%. Um, Daniel, I have one more from for you from our list. And the reason I wanted to ask this is because for me, I love you as a person because of what you do, what you say, um, and, and what you stand for. Now, something else that I've come to very much appreciate about you is your positivity, your constant ray of sunshine. Now, even, even on this Zoom call, I'm experiencing this bright light that's hitting me, you know, uh, you're, you're just happiness incarnate. You're a bundle of happiness is how I describe it. I wanted to ask, Obviously, I've known you since you've been meditating through your practice and, and actually from the point of already having reached uh, a place of enlightenment. Were you the same excited, happy, positive person before your practice? And not only that, but how far into your practice did you feel things changing? Because uh, some people, uh, we had a few questions that were like, how far into the practice do you really start feeling things kind of happened so what were you like before what was Dan? give us an image of daniel ingram pre-meditation that's i'm super interested in that yeah so like me in my teenage years like my early mid teenage years i could be super happy and enthusiastic but i was pretty dark and um angry a lot of the time too so i you know had some you know we could debate the degree to which it was valid for me to be angry about those things but there was a reasonable amount of uh, structural things in my life that super pissed me off and I was not happy about or sad about or I was grieving or whatever combination of those uh, things and um, and so but I definitely had this enthusiastic part of me that could come out and be very very up right so and then the degree to which I, I stayed in that in general has sort of you know, if you look long term, has definitely shifted farther and farther and farther towards this sort of up happy Daniel that you find me. Um, but in the middle, there were some super challenging dark periods, right? Some of my like deep dark stuff before I got stream entry in India when I was challenged, that was really hard times. Um, that I mean, was a lot of that was trudging and stuff. And yeah, I could still be bright and have a sense of humor sometimes, but there was a lot of pain and challenge there. And even some in the middle territory where there were some really cool meditation abilities and I could get into these deep jhanic states and had integrated, you know, awakening to some sort of mid path, you know, second, third path-ish, multiple cycles, who knows, kind of middle territory. Yet still, it could be pretty darn dark sometimes. And then there mm. were circumstantial stuff like, you know, the last two years of medical school, the, the hard clinical years where you're working 100 hours a week or whatever and sleeping every other night and, you know, that crazy stuff and residency, that could just be really physiologically challenging, even despite realization. Um, yeah. And, you know, we can all get 
you know, overworked and, and grumpy and cranky when we get sleep and food deprived and don't have any downtime, right? So, you know, you got to take that into account. For a lot of my years, I was doing intensive professional training, but it is definitely true. There was just a quantum shift that um, when, uh, oops, something. Oh, we just, we just lost you, Daniel. Tom, do you, do you start, Daniel? No, I think we just lost you. Audio-wise, I think we just lost you audio-wise, Daniel. We'll just see if that comes back. I'll let you know when it comes back. Talking about the quantum shift that... Hold on a second. There we go. Perfect. Okay. Got You're you back. back. Kind of, but it's not the right thing. Uh, heck. Do you hear me? Yep, we got you. Perfect. Do you hear me? Yep. Yep. Okay, now you hear me. Sorry, technical glitch. Something just that's okay. Right. System. Right. You know. Um, that, you know. So there is definitely the shift that happened in April two thousand and three, where there's before and after, and after the world was just way fucking better. So the difference between like ninety nine percent enlightened and a hundred percent, you know, everything's mm -hmm. just seeing itself as it is and doing its thing. Which is again, the people. Sorry for the people I've just annoyed by saying that, but um, it was it was a quantum leap in terms of okay, that was what I was looking for. And so, uh, um, it so the path is nonlinear. Just realize that. But like after stream entry, suddenly like I've you know snapped out of my the darky dark you know wreck my life period of you know giving everything away and canceling all my medical school interviews and wrecking you know you know doing challenging things that you know sort of made my marriage. Uh, relationship not as good and all of that stuff like and all of a sudden i'm like you know going back to grad school and applying to med you know this that like all of a sudden there was a big shift up but was it like everything i was looking for no so there were these like down lows and then highs and but then there were these plateau like shifts where everything kind of lofted up and was better but still even like in the later cycles there could still be some pretty challenging phases but they got shorter and shorter and shorter so like dark night periods that would last for like months or years started lasting, you know, weeks or sometimes days or even sometimes just hours in terms of like big progress cycles. And so it did get faster and easier and better. But there was that last shift and everything since then has been like, yeah, on that front. Um, so if you're doing this, just realize it's a complicated answer. And hopefully this will have some normalization for your own complicated journey. Can I ask another question? Were you full head of hair back then or beard? Like what was the hair situation back in the day? Back in the day, wow. So in, in high school, I had pretty long hair and then I got really long into this sort of crazy like flock of seagulls looking thing kind of on top with like long mullet down to my waist and the back. <laughs> and then I like shaved that all off. And then I had various sort of like kind of normally hairstyles through a lot of my graduate school and training and then but I just started losing my hair in my early mid thirties somewhere. And um, then uh, have been shaving it for some number of years just cause, you know, but I, you know, I, I, can, I can imagine it growing out. Sometimes I think, fuck it, I'm retired. I should just like grow out some big crazy thing in the back, like a big kind of a, a like imagine oh, yeah. a, like the back of my hair, just like this big around and grow it out into like a massive ponytail, but it would kind of stop here. So if you looked at me from the front, I'd look just <laughs> like this. But from the back, you'd see this like huge, you know, thing because this is thick hair back here, right? That's <laughs> that hasn't been affected at all. And so sometimes I think about doing something wild like that. I don't know if it has a, a, a it's not really a defined style that I know of, but yeah, like about a three inch wide by like four inch high thing and just throw that out. 
Do you know what? It sounds sounds like a kung fu it sounds like a kung fu master type thing. And uh, do, do you know what was interesting? What, 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 the reason I asked that like question really I, straight sides to it, so it had this really <laughs> defined edge. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> I, I was I was gonna say that's 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 bloody funny. That's 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 great. I think that's amazing. I was actually gonna ask. Was it that when the realization April uh, in 2003 was, was it just like, wow, like I feel better about the world. I need to shave my fucking head. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> no, know no, if no. it was like, a, like, damn, like everyone, once they hit that stage, you're like, dude, I need to start shaving. Like <laughs> it makes me more streamlined in my meditation. <laughs> yeah, it was only, I don't know, five or so years ago, I started shaving my head on a semi-regular basis. I had done it before. Um, but yeah, now just like, it's just easier and my wife likes it. And, uh, yeah, I think it looks better. I think I look younger vanity. <laughs> I have, nice. a, I have a, a last question for you, Daniel, and it's a quickie. Um, and it's, it's based on a question that was brought in through, uh, through Reddit, but someone asked, um, what is your hunch? What is your hypothesis on how many people there are currently in the world that have attained, um, our hot ship? as per your definition? Ah, oh, God, that's a tough one. And the problem is the vast majority of these people stay closeted, right? So, and um, the monks don't talk about it. So it's very, very hard to get good data on the monastic world. Um, but if my friend circle of probably something like a 10 to one ratio of out to not out is any indication, and then I think about the people, I don't know, I know, I would say certainly hundreds. I mean, I would really be surprised if the number wasn't at least some reasonable number of hundreds. It could be thousands. Uh, uh, that was, I don't know. If I, somewhere between low hundreds to mid-low thousands would be my range I would expect. But this is, this is super hard to, to know and guess on for a whole host of reasons, you know, cross tradition, terminological problems, people being closeted, uh, you know, monks being and nuns being forbidden to talk about it, et cetera. This, this is challenging stuff. I, I don't know. That's yeah. Something it's, a, like it's, that. A, it's a hypothesis. Yeah. Um, great. Well, I've, uh, I've asked most of the questions that were on my list of, um, and I thank those of you that, that contributed questions from Reddit and from the Dharma Overground. Really appreciate that. Hopefully that's been helpful for you and for others that haven't uh, contributed questions, but have had the um, opportunity to listen to them and to hear this uh, sort of wide ranging flowing conversation that's hit on certainly meditation aspects, technical and theoretical and, and otherwise, but also just life stuff as well. So really appreciate you watching. Daniel Ingram, um, we, Sincerely, sincerely appreciate your time again, uh, not just as uh, a friend, which I feel very, very um, honored, I guess, to, to say that it's been, it's been awesome to get to know you over the last few years and to continue our friendship and to watch it grow. So that's been really, really rewarding, but also to watch you flourish in, out in the world and to continue to, in, in the best spirit of being a wizard or a mage or a sorcerer, <laughs> You know, like seriously, like you're out there and you are um, you're doing your thing and it's in, it's incredible. It's very, very inspiring. And it, and it certainly energizes me um, in in our uh, our aspirations for ourselves as well. So thank you very much. Is there anything that you would like to shout out to anyone that's watching as far as something that you're working on or anything else? Well, I, yeah, like, I, like just plugs. thanks to both of you. Um, go ahead. 
Uh, no, I was gonna say like if, if you want to plug like you, you mentioned your 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 uh, your info handle earlier for people to get at you about that, like let us know where people can contact you where like if, if they want to or if they have questions or uh, all that kind of stuff um, in the section feel free to do that as well. Sorry for interrupting you go go for it Daniel. Oh, it's totally cool. No, it's all right. And uh, yeah, thank you so much to both of you as well. Um, I want to give a, a shout out to my friend Anna who's got um, a, a cool book out uh, the dark side of the Dharma. Uh, you can find this on Eon, Eon, uh, uh, AEON books, as well as you can find it on the standard big booksellers or whatever. But uh, Dark Side of Dharma uh, by um, my friend Anna, highly recommended, really cool, interesting stuff. Uh, that's just, yeah. And, uh, you know, thank you all for whoever's made it this far <laughs> for listening, for being interested in these topics. And I just hope this is somehow helpful to your own practice. And if it isn't, fuck it, go find something else. <laughs> you know, it's a huge world out there. <laughs> fully, fully agree. Um, guys, this has been uh, an amazing episode. It's been an absolute pleasure to have all of you uh, join us for the journey. I hope, like Daniel said, you got something out of it. But if not, hey, fuck it. Um, and um, as always, guys, hit us with the Holy Trinity. That is like and follow on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, and share one of our podcasts on any one of your social media platforms, whether that's Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Bebo, MySpace, um, <laughs> any, anyone that you're on, uh, share out one of our podcasts. But uh, guys, thank you so much. We've been Homie and the Dude, Daniel Ingram. Thank you very much. And uh, We'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Later. We're chugging through. We're loving doing this stuff, you guys. Um, if you want to support us, if you want to make sure that we can keep getting, you know, better quality set, better quality lights, make the filming better. Bigger, um, bigger batteries for the camera. Bigger batteries for the camera. <laughs> yes. You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you can do that by just liking, following the page, and subscribing to the YouTube channel. That is what really makes a difference to us.